On this episode, we discuss North. A comedy that's got its fair share of offensive racial stereotypes, but hey, it was made all the way back in, what the fuck, 1994? <laughs> yeah. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Hey, it's me, Stuart Wellington. Hey, it's Elliot Kalen. And in case you hear the pitter-patter of little sounds, it's because we're getting a very rare rainstorm here in Los Angeles. That's right. I should be out there running around in it like Tim Robbins when he breaks out of prison in the Shawshank Redemption because we're not going to get rain again until 2025. But who's with us today? I was so excited that they were a guest that I wasn't out in the rain. Stuart, who's joining us? Oh, man. He's the, what, editor-in-chief of Screen Crush? <laughs> Oh, I already <laughs> fucked it up. Uh, he, <laughs> he's a longtime friend of the pod. I love this guy. We played Hero Clicks together. Uh, mm-hmm. That is none other than the man who wrote the book on Spider Man. That's right, Matt Singer. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Did I fuck it all up? Oh, absolutely. You really did. But you did mention the Hero Clicks, so that's that's good. I think I yeah. won when we played too. Hell yeah, you fucking destroyed me. I think I destroyed you. I mean, yeah. Matt, Matt Singer is best known to the public as the guy who beat you in Hero Clicks. <laughs> yeah. That's well, it's on my resume, just below Screen Crush. Uh-huh. Well, and and above the, the book. During the pandemic, uh, this will count for the one time I get to see Matt Singer per year, because we didn't get to do his uh, karaoke birthday, which is uh, true. Oh, that was, yeah. That's right. Matt has these I'd great to do karaoke. karaoke on my birthday, yeah. Elliot hasn't come, but both Stuart and Dan have sang karaoke. Never been me. invited, I think. Never received an invitation, but I've certainly heard a lot about it I, may, I may have talked about this story on the podcast before, but it was at one of your birthday parties where Dan came to the party and he brought some friends, one of whom was a friend of the podcast, Natalie Walker, who did not sing for most of the time, even though she's a talented musical theater person. A professional singer. And and then Dan gets up there and does a a duet with her (laughs) of Suddenly Seymour. And Dan does does the first verse, and he's great. Like, he is killing it as Seymour. We're all loving it. Then Natalie sings, and she doesn't need the fucking microphone. And, like, the look on Dan's face (laughs) when he's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Like, we realize how outclassed. Like, no offense. So outclassed, but... (laughs) It was like we wanna, we all fell over laughing. It was amazing. Yeah, then no one wanted to sing after that. Everyone <laughs> I, else was no, just very I quiet. I want that duet with you though, Matt, because uh, you are you know you, you get up there, you, you sing a lot of Shirley Bassey hits, and you kill it. Yes, sure. You, uh, yeah. He's a yeah. Didn't you get offered the role of Seymour just like randomly off yes. of karaoke? Yes, <laughs> that did happen. Yes, didn't it? someone came up to us and was like, uh-huh. "Yeah, they were yeah." We were at a, um, that was a different time. We were at like a bar, just singing at a bar. Yeah, we, we were and doing not it. Not in a, a private room. We were doing it at and, Excelsior, and I think you sang Thunderball? Oh, Stan Lee's bar. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, he wasn't there that night. But yeah, we, I, that's right. I sang like Thunderball or some, some ridiculous thing. And yeah, someone came up to me afterwards and was like, you'd be perfect. And it was <laughs> like, that's like the fantasy, right? That you get up, yeah. like everybody who gets up mm-hmm. to do karaoke is like, hey, you're a star kid. <laughs> 
I yeah. love the idea that you're big timed him by being like, no thanks, <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> I, I would love the idea of Dan getting up and seeing suddenly Seymour, and then a guy walking up to Matt Singer and going, "You're perfect for Seymour." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I looked over at Matt when he got the offer, and his eyes stared off into the middle distance, and I'm sure he lived an entire lifetime in those moments, thinking about what would have happened. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes. yeah, real sliding doors scenario. Uh, Matt yes, and I much had... like a certain North movie. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. And, and at the end of this whole tale, I'll wake up back in that bar having uh, decided <laughs> and not go, to have taken the offer. Yeah, <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, uh, exactly. Matt and I, we, uh, for viewers of James Cameron's Story of Science Fiction uh, documentary series from a couple years ago, uh, Matt and I were both talking heads on that. They used a lot more of him than of me. They talked to me for a long time and used very little of it. But I was fast-forwarding through it, just wanted to watch my parts the first time through, and I kept being, oh, there I am, and I would stop and it would be Matt talking. And he yeah. would talk mm. for a while, <laughs> and I'd be like, damn it. <laughs> what is, yeah. what is, why is Singer taking up all my space? <laughs> Uh, okay, well, let's uh, reset the podcast. I mean, first off, let's just... Okay, uh, sorry. Take, Welcome uh, to the Flophouse. I'm Elliot Kalen. Did we not do it well enough, Dan? No, I don't I'm sure well, well, I don't know why you're interrupting me, but... Uh, you <laughs> said reset saying, it. Let's start over. Okay, take re- two. Reset in the sense that, uh, in the broadcasting sense of explaining for new viewers, or listeners in our case, what the what the hell we're doing, <laughs> uh, which is, this is a, the Flophouse. It's a podcast about bad movies. We watch bad movie, and then we talk about it also... Before we get into it, just a quick thank you. Max Fun Drive 2021 uh, just ended. Um, you know, considering the state of the world, uh, it is a rousing success. It was a rousing success, and we appreciate so much that people still care about what we do <laughs> when when all seems so bleak around us that uh, people, you know, fight in their hearts to support a little nonsense and support uh, our lives, really, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, so thank you to all the listeners, um, uh, and thank you to listeners, you know, who maybe are not in the position to be, uh, Max Fund members at this time due to financial hardship or uh, other reasons. Uh, we appreciate all of you. Uh, yep. thank you so much. <clears throat> but now we watched a movie called North. Uh-huh. Uh, why, it was the, the why did we watch guest. this? Why <laughs> yeah. did so we this, watch North? This, so this was at the request of one Mr. Matt Singer. Uh-huh. of uh, USA America. Uh, Matt, what is it about North that uh, you wanted us to watch about it? What? <laughs> well, I hate you guys, and I just <laughs> thought this would be the best way to punish you all. Yeah. I, I, Classic in my jigsaw. Defense, I think I gave... I gave <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I gave a few options, and I believe that this was the one that you gentlemen yeah, this was out I, of those options. This was, Dan true. was very clear that he did not want to watch the other options, so North was the... I can't even remember. It. What were the other options? Well, there, well one was I the have... Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. We're like, I'm not fighting that guy again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know that Movie 43 was in there, because... Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think, yeah. I think That's I, a really I think, painful movie. I think I didn't want to do that one just because I have actually seen it before, so that would have been a painful repeat although i think some i think one of you i mean matt you've seen north have, have one of you already seen I, north? I saw north when in the theaters when i was a kid oh dear. but i had not wow. seen it since then so mm-hmm. yeah. I, I remember seeing it i remember thinking that was okay again i was 12 years old at the time uh and my tastes had not yet cohered you know yeah. at that point i still think the only movie i'd ever had a really viscerally negative experience with in the theaters at that point was still uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, the first time that I actively disliked watching a movie, and I was like, what am I doing wrong? I'm not liking this movie. I don't understand. Well, how <laughs> also, am I not? Ex- I, what, uh, also features Julia Louis-Dreyfus. 
She's a real emerges. rough period when I mean, like, like other than Seinfeld, I feel like, and then <laughs> later on, like people were like, "Oh yeah, 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 right, she's great," but uh, there were some trouble years in there. Uh, okay, well, uh, should we do a moment of silence or? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? Okay, I, mean, so we, I think we did. It's called Dead Air, Stuart. Well, part of uh, part of the reason we watch this is, I mean, you guys can uh, fill it in a little bit more than me, but it's it's like famously a movie that Roger Ebert hated, right? Yes, yes. that is true. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's just like I was. I was just trying to think of. I, I looked down the list of movies that you guys have done and uh-huh. haven't done, and uh-huh. just trying to think of absolutely dreadful movies that haven't come up, and and this was one of them. And yes, it is famously terrible i had never seen it even though uh i knew of it because it was the subject of that very famous roger ebert review where he was like i hated this movie i hated yeah. hated hated this movie uh-huh. and then when he wrote a uh, collection of or he made a collection of his reviews of bad movies like that was the title of the book was i hated 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 this movie yeah so I, it, I he got I a just... lot of mileage out of it I just want to read I mean, the, if anything, the paragraph. He profited more off of more. Th- he profited more off of North than anybody else. Roger he Ebert was the, was the champion of this one. Yeah, uh, because I have it, I'll read the paragraph in question from that review. Now he wrote like most of what you would call a normal review, uh, and then like maybe the third to last paragraph uh, suddenly becomes: I hated this movie. Hated, 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 hated this movie. Hated it. Hated every simpering, stupid, vacant, audience-insulting moment of it. Hated the sensibility that thought anyone would like it. Hated the implied insult to the audience by its belief that anyone would be entertained by it. And uh, I believe, I may be making up a memory, I believe I read him like talk about that review and that it was basically like he reached a certain point in the review where he just kind of like broke down and he's like, I'm just going to write what I really feel here and then just decided, you know what, I'm not taking it out, I'm just going to go with this. And he won, uh, he won the Pulitzer for that review, but it wasn't in criticism. <laughs> it was in the field of ruining Rob Reiner's career for a little bit. Oh, no, no. Right after this, like, so Rob Reiner, like, well, I'm sure we'll talk more about it. He had, like, a golden career for a long time. Then he had this, but right after he had the American president. So this wasn't the last nail. Like, the American president no, is No, I mean, is the American president, the story of us, comedy. lots of great well, movies. Then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that the American president is the true end to his like uh, movies that people might uh, conceivably stick up for because then they had like the weird like what like graduate uh, sequel and they had like just like oh, a couple rumor things has that it. yeah barely exist and then like if you look at his past six or seven movies I defy you to have any like memory of these things existing <laughs> so. He had an un- incredible career, like a directing career, yes. until North. Like his yes. first, like five or six movies are all like absolute. Like it's what like it's like Spinal Tap, classics, back to back bangers, no skips, amazing. Misery, uh, a few good men, when Princess Harry Bride. met Sally, the Princess Bride, Stand by Me. They're not in that order, but like mm-hmm. they're those are all. It's just like one after another, like hit, 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 and like yeah. these classic movies, and then. North. He truly North. was the Peter Bogdanovich of the late 80s, early 90s, when it comes down to it. Aside from all the other stuff about them, but having a string of hits and then making, and then after that making movies that people didn't like as much, they're the same guy. Yeah. Pretty yeah, much, well, right. It was, you I know, mean, it was the, also I, when he stopped working with Polly Platt that everything fell apart. It's weird. <laughs> it's I mean, it, yeah, it's that, that was part of it. Uh, and also, uh, Rob Reiner famously also had a contentious friendship with Orson Welles. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, uh, his last name is Bogdanovich. 
Um, <laughs> loves to wear kerchiefs. Yeah, yeah well, they both wear we, a lot of ascots how, and kerchiefs. How have we not seen the similarities before? Yeah, only only one of them talked so long before a screening of Targets that I went to that they had to cancel the second screening because <laughs> because they ran out of time. Oh, that was such a funny moment seeing him get seeing the handler at the film forum get madder and madder at standing at the side of the stage as 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 Peter Bogdanovich refused to stop taking questions. <laughs> and the, the movie started, I think, forty five minutes late. Anyway, That's so great. um but so, uh, so I'm gonna be driving this one and I just kinda wanna peel back the curtain a little bit. I've you know, the last week has been kinda tough for me. Uh, I had a, some staff issues at the bar, and then I, uh, I've been plagued with a resurgence of fairly extreme back pain. So I was just really looking to lose myself in a movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we watched North. <laughs> yeah. Hey! It, it did not, you're saying it didn't replicate the, uh, the, the pleasure you had from the country bears. <laughs> No, and the thing is, is uh, I was pr- up until the point that I decided to watch North. I had been doing a series run of the Saw movies, and I the whole time I was like, "Man, what I wouldn't give to go back to Jigsaw's <laughs> loving embrace." Put me in a death trap, buddy. Please, okay. So, so, did the- I, so I, well, I want to say one thing about North, but in, in, as we go into it, I think the thing about North to remember is it doesn't start out that bad. But it is a movie that, and it has some good jokes in it, but it is a yep. movie that loses its way hard, and then it does not, it falls in a hole and does not get know how to get yeah. out, of, out of the hole. And the more it tries to climb out of the hole, the more it's pulling bags of manure onto itself. <laughs> like, it's just, it just, it really gets into trouble. Uh, okay, so I'm excited to see where that, that tilt happens. So the movie opens uh, with a long credit sequence in a fun kid's room filled with, like, <laughs> model trains and toys and all kinds of shit that represents, like, different parts of the world and you're like man this kid has a great life like this uh, kid has a very busy bedroom like yes. he's his he lives in mr megorium's emporium basically uh-huh yep if if we could all be so lucky um we we learned that that room i believe belongs to north uh who is played by <laughs> elijah wood the original son of northern darkness um and he is the child of uh george and elaine uh, that's right, Jason Alexander <laughs> and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. But not the, not the characters from Seinfeld, just the, the performers. No. At first, when I saw them, I was very excited because I have trouble separating uh, you know, actors from their characters in, that they play, but whatever. Um, and, they're, and he's trying to get a word in. His parents, their lives are too busy. They don't have time for their little Northy. And he like has kind of a panic attack or something, right? He has a, yeah, he like has a heart attack. Yeah, he has like yeah. a little kid heart attack. At the attack. dinner table. Yeah, and yeah, and, and this is this is the first point at the at the in the movie where I uh, begin to lose sympathy with our protagonist, and it will only continue as the movie goes on because I can see, I look, this movie is for kids. Let's make this clear up top, and I could see where, as a kid, this might resonate with you because like North's biggest problem seems to be like he just doesn't think he's appreciated by his parents, and like. Otherwise, perfect life, but doesn't feel like his parents appreciate him. And yeah, they're like having two separate conversations at one another at the dinner table and not talking to him. But I also like, as an adult and not a child, throughout the movie, I'm just like, this kid's a little shit. (laughs) Like, I'm like, Mm -hmm. this kid thinks he like deserves so much out of life. I mean, he's very full of himself. They might as well have called this Book of Henry first first run through like this is yeah. this he's like the kid who's great at everything and he kind of expects to be adored by everybody and he's just like henry in that 
piece of garbage where Henry is like an angel sent from heaven to make everybody to touch everybody's lives and make them beautiful. And North is kind of like that. And North doesn't is, he doesn't he come up with an intricate plan to kill a guy though or something? Well, North doesn't. Henry, uh, Henry does. <laughs> Henry yeah, does. Henry does. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Henry does. And then there's Book of Eli. Eli's a pretty good kid. Uh, but North is. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. I don't know who I Eli think, is. I think, I think Eli is Denzel Washington in that. I'm not he's like well, a, is there a better he's like kid? A, he's like a... That's true. Who would be proud to have Denzel close. Washington as his son? That's true. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, North is... He's like... He's the kid who should be like the kid everyone hates in a movie. Like he's good at everything yeah. and yes. other parents he, use him as an example to shame their own children. You know. He, he, he definitely is cruising for a wedgie at some points in this movie. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, and we learn a little bit about his background because this is around when our narration begins, and it's read uh, kind of like lazy book on tape narration <laughs> style by Bruce Willis. Like, I, th- yeah. I, th- I feel like Bruce Willis went to see Blade Runner and was like, mm, "I can be sleepier in my voiceover." I see yeah. you, Harrison Ford, and I raise you two Z's. This is all the more confounding because when when Bruce Willis appears on screen as various characters, like. Uh-huh. He's fine. Like he's fine. Yeah, in this yeah. Movie. We get we he's, get a panoply of different accents and <laughs> yeah, performances. All, all the, every like the every movies. shade in the Bruce Willis rainbow. <laughs> well, the movie's not good, so there's a ceiling to how good Bruce Willis can be in it. But the difference between the energy he puts into when he's on screen and his uh, voiceover is stark. Like it sounds like he was like flying home on an international flight. They called him in the airport, and he's like, "Yeah, I can tape it. Fine. Here's whatever. my theory. Here's my theory. Okay." Uh-huh. They had Bruce Willis. They shot all the scenes. They said, this is great, but you know what? We really need a voiceover to tie this all together. Let's get Bruce to do it. Bruce is so charismatic. He's a wise ass. You know, he's Bruno. He's he's back. And mm-hmm. so they call him up. Unfortunately, modern day bald, sad Bruce Willis has fallen oh, no. through a time window into back then Bruce Willis's house. He gets the call. He says, yeah, I'll come down to the studio. And he's he like, records is this an action movie for the Hungarian market? Uh, I'll do <laughs> it. Like, can I wear an exosuit, but in CGI, so I never have to actually put it on? Yeah. So it's that, and so they got him to do it because it was while watching this movie that it really struck me. I was like, oh, I've gotten so used to emotionless Bruce Willis that seeing like Wiseacre Bruce, like moonlighting style Bruce Willis, yeah. is, is a shock to me. It's strange to me to see him, you know, to see Hudson Hawk suddenly appearing when I expect Unbreakable, you know? So North is having a rough time. He like is fucking up at acting in baseball, things that he normally excels at, uh, and it's all because of the about not being not I guess being appreciated enough by his parents. So he wanders off of the baseball pitch that he's playing on, and he goes to his special place, which is a mall uh, furniture showroom, and he <laughs> sits down in a recliner, and he starts to like ponder. Like, this I guess this is his special place, and he's pondering his situation, and that's of course where he runs into Bruce Willis dressed up as the Easter Bunny. <laughs> this is Bruce Willis number one because this movie is trying so hard to be the Hudsucker proxy. Is what I realized like halfway through it. It wants to be like a real goofy, whimsical, like like eccentric movie, and. Mm-hmm. It is not. It doesn't know how to pull <laughs> With it off. Racial stereotypes from old Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some of that in the Hudson Roxy too, but not as much. But uh, the but like, it the minute Bruce Willis shows up, up till now it's been a little cartoony, and then Bruce Willis shows up in an Easter Bunny costume, 
and no, North never asked the big question, which is, what mall hires an Easter bunny to hang around? Like, that's not a holiday people do that for. But <laughs> I imagine, like, a mall Easter bunny, and, like, <laughs> like the kids come and sit on his lap, and he's like, you're getting eggs. Everyone's getting eggs. Mm-hmm. Don't Small ask for eggs. anything else. And I love that this Easter bunny character, he's, like, so into character that he is eating a carrot while off shift. Like, it seems mm-hmm. like he's on break, yeah. right? Yeah. He, offers, he offers one, too to north but we've already like by this point there's like it's already starting to like drop these just absolutely terrible like jokes like they're supposed to be jokes but they're just the hackiest terrible jokes like when you were saying like okay north he's he's being neglected by his parents so he's screwing things up and like he but previously we've seen him do fiddler on the roof really well and i guess that's kind of cute okay whatever and then like well what (laughs) what play could he mess up and it's like Hamlet, and he's like to be or not a uh, line, mm-hmm. just like the just like the worst hackiest. <laughs> it is yes. pretty hacky. Like, I will it, say it is uh, like commercial level hacky. Like that's the sort of thing yeah. that like oh he should have gotten a better insurance or something. <laughs> <laughs> I will say one of the fun things about writing things for children is you can use hacky jokes because the kids don't know it. Like that's yeah. so you can reuse stuff. There was I remember working on the Who Was show for Netflix, and it was like. To do a, like a joke rap about this would be pretty hacky, but it's for kids. They don't know that, so we can do it. And it reminds me of the other day. I was so proud of my son. He was reading a book, and he got to a part where a character said, what am I, chopped liver? And he got up, and he ran over to me to share this joke with me. He, he showed it to me. He was like, look at what this guy said. He said, what am I, chopped liver? And I was like, I don't remember when I first heard that for the first time. Like, this is a special moment that you're hearing yeah. this. One of the <laughs> hackiest things a person can say in a story. Like, and he's experiencing it as a, as a new amazing phrase, you know. So It's a, str- it's a strange it thing, too, because, you know, chopped liver, liver is pretty good. It is. I mean, that's the, that's the real, that's the problem with that joke. Really, that if that. it was like, what am I, chopped liver? Yeah, I wish. It's delicious. Put it on, uh-huh. put it on like a cracker or something. R- rest in peace, Sammy's Romanian. I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. This bad oh, joke yeah. did not uh, inspire laughter out of me. It did inspire me to think, why are they producing Hamlet in this school? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> seems, seems like a lot for these children. It I is. don't know. I will say, the, the level of joke is, it's not... Though it does it, reflect it, his current indec- uh, indecisive oh. state, right? Oh. Uh-huh. Layers that you know what I forget about it. There's oh, subtext. Wow. It's a great joke. It's perfect. <laughs> There's no other play that would have worked. There's, I suddenly like the whole movie now. <laughs> there, it's not that every joke is bad in this movie. It is that the big jokes are pretty bad to me. Yeah. And there are a lot of little. Jo- There's a part near the end where Alan Arkin, as a judge, pulls out a timer, and we'll get to that. And he goes. That's the clock from my house. And that made me laugh more than anything else in the movie. It was just this aside where the judge is just making sure they know that that's his clock that he brought from home. I, you know? I like the part where Jason Alexander talking about how he's a pants inspector. Uh, so it's like, who do you did you forget who I am? And he pulls out a little thing that says inspected by number six and says, I'm number six. And mm-hmm. I like that joke. That was that was pretty yeah. good. I feel like there's potential in the idea of a pants inspector that they don't really. They don't. They don't dig into it as much as I would have liked. Mm-hmm. It's just like a, a sight yeah. dig later. But yeah. I mean, know. as long as we're talking about the writing, I just want to mention this is uh, Alan Zweibel did this from his children's book, and he, you know, was a, a very famous SNL writer during the early years, and he was he wrote uh, for Gary Shandling show. So, oh yeah, he no, he's capable of, of writing very funny stuff. Uh, but uh, but North is not uh, a I would, good movie. I would call him one of the top boomer generation. TV and probably movie writers like yeah. of all of boomer writers 
Alan Zweibel is, is right up at the top. And this, you know, everyone has the, and I've, he's, he's on, he comes on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast every now and then. They always ask him about North and he's like, we're just doing something nice. Why do people have to be mean? They're doing <laughs> yeah. something nice. And I was like, yeah, yeah, he's probably right. And then I watched the movie again and I was like, oh boy, they didn't know. Uh, no. This is, this is not the, this is not the nice thing that they, that they present. So around, around the time later on when, when someone is trying to murder North on camera, I was like, uh, this is not, <laughs> this doesn't work for me. So uh, continue, Stuart. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Yeah, so. Uh, North, uh, he gets the seed of an idea and he gets, he enlists the aid of his weird journalist friend Winchell to come (laughs) up with the plan of becoming kind of like a kid free agent uh, and like shopping himself around to prospective adoptive parents. Which like as a premise, like I could see someone being like, oh, that's a fun premise. Everything that has has spun out of it in the film is pure evil, but like the the idea of like a, a free age, like a kid trying, like like a sports you know figure trying to get like picked up by different you know different parents, you know there, there's something there. Yeah, it's a it's right. a very funny idea that unfortunately just opens up a can of of stereotype worms. Yes. Uh, and the, and the wind as the Winchell storyline develops, it becomes just straight like it it just, just becomes not yeah horrifying. It's not a, not kid movie appropriate uh, or no. yeah, but a. Uh, uh, it gives John Lovitz an opportunity to be in the movie a lot. Who so, just shows you know. up? John Lovitz yeah. shows up as Winchell's uh, often used attorney, uh, <laughs> who is going to handle the case for North's emancipation. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he literally appears. He's chasing an ambulance in his car, and then he sees North on the street and screeches to a stop. And it's like, yeah, that's the level of the movie: is that uh-huh. the yeah. lawyer is literally chasing after an ambulance. That's that's what they had. You know. Worked for the Marx Brothers in like brain donors or something, right? Well, uh, that, that, okay, uh, <laughs> you got a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I'm have to, there. I mean, I the mean, biggest <laughs> thing being that that's not a Marx Brothers movie. It's a, but, I mean, it's definitely a Marx Brothers pastiche. I, I mean, that's a movie that. I remember loving as a kid when it would be on HBO, and I have to watch it again to see if it holds up at all. But yeah, anyway, I'm curious too. Okay, uh, so I, just, I don't know. I think there's something weird going, but just the the whole thing about North. <laughs> he yes, I agree. The idea could work. But, like, what we've seen so far is, like, literally, North had one dinner conversation where he wasn't the center of attention. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's like, that's it. I'm out of here. Well, I I'm think leaving that's, I think that's one, of, that's one of the big things is they seem to, for some reason, they needed to make an argument as to why North's parents should pay attention to him. Well, the only way is if he's got to be the best kid in the world. Because otherwise, the audience might think North is not worthy of their attention. And I think it'd be, <laughs> it's a better story if it's just a regular kid. If he's not the best and the smartest and the most amazing, it's just a, re- like a regular kid. Arguably, a regular kid needs more attention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you. If a regular kid was just like... My parents are paying, and all these people, and then the joke is that everyone in the world is competing for the attention to, to mm-hmm. be the parents of like just a kid, just some kid, right. as opposed to North, who is already famous. It seems, you know. <laughs> okay, so uh, he uh, the judge ruled the judge ruled by Alan Arkin, who, as everyone has addressed, is a funny performer. Uh, he, he is. I mean, he is doing his best Christopher Lloyd in this movie. Alan yes. Arkin is. He can really calibrate, and he is going big here. Yeah, he's going he's as going big, big as possible, but it works. He's a judge who's barking things, people. And, and he what, rules. But, he rules in favor of North because North's parents are both in a catatonic <laughs> state. I guess yeah. when they got the news. When they find <laughs> out the news, they they go into shock, and they go in. Yeah, and uh, and they're but they're like strapped to a board in the courtroom, <laughs> and Alan Arkin's like that. His parents won't even pay attention, and it's just a sign like the movie's trying so hard. To to be like fun and cartoonish but you're wacky. like it, yeah and yeah. wacky but it's like 
this is seriously this is a terrible thing that's happened to his parents like that like yeah. try to get them out of the out of their coma and then and see what the and what yeah north do. seems unconcerned by the fact that they are yeah yeah, yeah, they are it, unable to talk or move. Yeah, later on when he's like, my parents haven't even tried to contact me. It's like, yeah, dude, you saw them. They're like, <laughs> they're like suspended that. animation. They're like, like Mrs. Later in, the, later in the movie, there's a press conference when Ben Stein makes them, a, makes them an exhibit at the Smithsonian, and they're encased in glass in a coma. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, they're not getting in touch with you, North. That was, fa- that was covered by the news. It's... Yeah, I guess yeah. it's a real uh, North's in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And the judge, know? in addition to ruling in North's favor, adds a ticking clock, everybody. North only has until Labor Day to pick new parents or decide to go back with his original parents or else he goes to an orphanage. And then there's like some comments about how be uh, like, you know, living in an orphanage is terrible and it's a little bit weird. Um, and so they're, they, they're, he, the... But the ticking clock is the whole summer. He has like he has like an entire summer to do this and it seemed like he goes to like four places and he ha- it seems like he spends like three days uh-huh. and the entire summer has just evaporated. <laughs> well they, they yeah. make it they, he does spend a lot of time walking in alaska during the first of the very offensive sequences where yes. he where uh where brown face kathy bates the inuit mom <laughs> is is taking him to push an elderly person ava Godin and brown face onto an ice floe to die so in, like they spend in a that ceremony case. that is officiated by richard belzer and brown face <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean officiated is I, w- I would say he's more the he's more like the the air traffic controller of the thing i uh, just keeping everyone yeah. on schedule but i yeah the it's i think uh that eats up a lot of that summer i think that's how they they explain that that's away. how we're supposed to inter- okay because yeah. that's the thing that's so funny it's like you you have to do this by the end of the summer and he goes to one place and I was like okay he was there for literally a day uh-huh. alright fine and then he goes to the next place and it seems like he's there for a day and then he's like I've only got 12 hours left to find my parents it's <laughs> yeah. like we just started this you have yeah. all summer what's happening one thing I like about Alan Arkin's performance is he even as he's declaring this seems to be like also shocked at how arbitrary and unfair it is. He's like, <laughs> he's like, he's telling him, but you only have to Labor Day or else you're going to go in an orphanage. And the way he says it is almost like he's getting this perverse delight out of <laughs> doing the wrong thing. And he knows it's wrong. Yeah. Like that's his, I would, I would rather watch the movie where Alan Arker's judge goes home and is following North's progress, like on a map in his house. And it's just like oh, running out of time. See, I should have given delivered- him more time. <laughs> Your delivery of Alan Arkin's delivery made me think that maybe he was just reading the script off of cue cards for the first time while doing it. Like, you'll have to be in an orphanage. That can't be right. What kind of shitty movie is this? That's possible. It's very possible. Yeah. uh, Alan, Rob, I'll be in your movie for sure with your track records. No questions asked. Just, okay, I'm a judge. Okay, put the robes on me. Well, you're so good, Alan. You're such a good improviser. Let's just have you. We want to get your first take. Let's just don't even read the script ahead of time. You got it. And as he's reading, he's like, Did I do a hair and makeup? They're like, Nope. Your hair looks crazy already. Ready. <laughs> What's that the, you're carrying? Is that an old kettle? Yeah, bring it along. Why not? The courtroom scene also has another one of I thought the the worst hackiest jokes, which was like the we've already established the parents are comatose, and they're 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 on these boards in the courtroom, and uh, you know like Alan Arkin is like, all right, go ahead, defense, and the and the and the lawyer for the for the parents who I don't think is, I don't recognize him. I don't think he's like anyone famous. He's just like, your honor, the defense rests. You can see it because they're lying down. Like they, they almost need like, so, like a drummer on screen doing like the little. I mean, but the thing is, if it was like the Marx brothers doing that joke, I would laugh at how, I would yeah. laugh at how corny it is and they're getting yeah. away with it. But like, 
I guess that's when you well, see part of it is the Marx ne- Brothers are like, you know, like do it, do it like airplane, right? There's like so many jokes that yeah, it doesn't matter if one sucks. Cause right. like, I mean, and the Marx Brothers are also, they're the something. greatest movie comedians of all time. I mean, that's the other well, that's, thing that's is, the, is other half. the same joke in the hands of, of, of the greatest comedy performers on film. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, North and his lawyer, John Lovett set up an office to receive parental applications and they come flooding in. Everybody wants a piece of that North and uh, he starts flying around to visit prospective parents. And those first parents are located in Texas, America. And they are cartoonishly Texan, played by Dan Aykroyd and Reba McIntyre, baby. The most, the most Texas person you can think of. That's right. Dan, Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> now, apparently it was supposed to who- be John Candy. And then he dropped out. Not that that's more... Texan because he's from Canada, but uh, and just as he's from the same place Dan Aykroyd is from Canada. I mean, they're even different parts of Canada, but the, who who would be the most Texan person you can imagine? I mean, like if ever a part called for modern day MC Ganey, but I don't know what he was doing in 1994. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, at the Arlie time, maybe Ernie like from I feel like uh, I feel like Burt Reynolds or somebody, right? Sam uh, Shepard. <laughs> that would be amazing if it was Sam Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just so he's delivering all the same lines but so dry so crusty now luckily i mean reba mcintyre's here and reba i feel like reba injects a fair amount of life to it like maybe it's just because yes. i love her in these like crazy like uh like musical theater rich person cowboy outfits uh and she's obviously a you know a great singer no reba, reba comes off very well in this movie, I mean I this 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 sequence this is, comparably to the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's kind of fun. There's is, singing, there's dancing. He gives uh, Dan Aykroyd gives uh, Elijah Wood North uh, the Houston Astros as a gift. Uh, uh-huh. That's fun. I and, think you know. I think this this definitely is the if this was the starting point and then the movie heightened in in humor from this point on. It, the movie you'd be like okay that was a that was a fun start and now it's getting but unfortunately this is like the best of the of the parent <laughs> ones it's and maybe it's just because the te- the stereotype of a rich texan is not one that makes my tummy hurt uh, yeah. compared to the other ones you know yeah and the uh, the so it, uh, he he pretty quickly susses out that these texans are just trying to, they just want north to replace their large dead son i guess they had right. a son there that is they a strange overfed. undercurrent and yeah, there's some weird stuff in this scene. It's not as offensive, but no, it no. is weird. It's they are, weird. They are because yeah. they're they're force feeding him. They're like they uh-huh. really want him. They talk about how he has to uh, he has to grow his. We have to stretch your stomach, and pretty soon your capacity will for food yes. will grow and grow. It's like somebody yeah. was trying to write a screenplay based on a rolled doll book, but didn't like <laughs> consider the like dark comedy of it, and we're just like, right. no, it's just normal comedy, right? Yeah, well, yeah. For, and so they're like. A couple Our pages son, from a... Gri- he, oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. You say... Yeah, I was just going to say, their, their old son could eat a lot. So they're trying to replace him. And so they need to, I guess, fatten up North. Yeah. And then they sing the, the song they sing, which is sort of cute that they go into a whole... The musical number is fun. musical mm-hmm. number. It's about their dead son being trampled in a stampede. It's just very bizarre. I'm yes. not saying it's good or bad. Just very... I don't know. Just... Like there's, it's, it's almost a Lynchian quality of strangeness that's happening. I mean, it is. It is. If this was a scene in Nothing But Trouble, instead of the scene where Chevy Chase imagines that Dan Aykroyd's nose is a penis for some reason, mm-hmm. you'd be like, okay, yeah, I guess this makes sense. The family's obsessed with their dead kid, and they're trying to replicate them in some way. This is uh-huh. the kind of thing that that those weirdos would do. In what was the name of that town? Uh, Valkenvania. The, yeah, Valkenvania. But instead, it's in North, where like a. Uh, 
like Alan Zweibel got hit in the head with a Grimm's Fairy Tales book <laughs> and, and had to inject this kind of like strange force-feeding-a-child element to it. Otherwise, other than that, best best family scene in the movie. So <laughs> best the, and, of the parent auditions in the movie. So right before the musical number, this is where North runs into uh, this the, the second appearance by Bruce Willis. And that's when we're starting to figure, like, you got to assume something's up. Like, he must be mm-hmm. traveling down the, what, like 77 steps to sleep. Like he is traveling on, a, he's on a dream journey to unknown Kadath. Uh, and he bumps into Bruce Willis, who is now a ranch hand who does not go by the same name. He just has never met North. He again is speaking with a, let's say questionable uh, Texas accent. Uh, and uh, he gives North a little bit of advice of which I don't remember at this point. Um, I don't know. If- uh, he just helps him decide that this isn't the right family. This yeah. isn't the right fit. Maybe mm-hmm. he should move on. That he he wants to be loved for himself and not not as a replacement, or as a member of the replacements, which they should have made North They're so that he, they can trouble- make a joke where he's like, "Just because I'm a member of the replacements doesn't mean I want to be a replacement for your son." And then no. the replacements show up and play some of their hits. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> About dead sons being trampled in stampedes. Yeah, I mean they play the yeah. same song, I guess, but like replacement uh-huh. style. I mean, if know. they're not allowed right. to, if they're right. not allowed the to cover. be on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> yeah. replacement style means very drunk. I assume. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, replacement yeah. style. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, of course, despite a musical number, North says no. He turns them down, and uh, we get a glimpse of what's going on back home. There's like a full on like kid revolution. It's like this like Nickelodeon fucking nightmare where the kids are now in charge <laughs> parents have to do whatever they say and winchell is at the heart of it and his uh and his i guess muscle is john lovitz the lawyer but yeah. winchell is the brains behind the operation and he, they're raking in the bucks i don't know it, it is I, very strange this winchell character like i hated him from the moment he just showed up not realizing he was supposed to be the villain just because he <laughs> i found the performance sort of off-putting but that's because well, I don't, you know, I'm harsh. You know, he's a, harsh. He's That's a, a child, Dan. That's he's a, a child. child. <laughs> but allow me to explain that I, I do not like movies where the only joke of a character appears to be like this child is acting as if adult and an adult might, you know, in this yeah. situation. Like, he's yeah, I think you said this, that like, that goes. That's it's that's slightly worse than rapping grannies, right? <laughs> I mean, right, I mean to be par. to be to be honest, that is in my ranking of like. Jokes I do not like. The number one, pretty much, I mean, other than jokes that are harmful to people, the number one is like, I didn't expect that character to sound like that kind of person to sound like that. So, like, rapping yeah. grannies, really adult sounding kids, sensitive bikers, like any of that garbage. You know, that's that's a personal pet peeve of mine. That being said, because you like I to judge love, books by their cover, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, li- I like people because I, I, I just I don't like the idea that it's like you don't conform to my expectations about what you would sound like. I, that being said, I do love the moment in uh, in. Gentlemen's prefer blondes, where they ask that where the two the, where the two ladies ask the kid how old he is, and he goes, "Old enough to appreciate a fine woman, <laughs> or, <something. laughs> or old enough to appreciate a beautiful woman," and that's the only line he pretty much has. It's like that that character got turned into a into the the villain of the movie. Yeah. So it is a, it is a lot of like um, like it, it's it, this is the character that feels the most like Cohen's esque to me. This kind of like fast talking, old timey reporter kid who is who turns into Lex Luthor basically. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so uh, North's next stop is to Hawaii, where the governor of Hawaii and his wife are making a big pitch for North to join their family. And we get, uh, we're get we treated to a, uh, a series of jokes all about Hawaiian culture. 
I mean, yeah. like like parasailing and like poi and stuff like that. It's not. It's it's you know not that I want them to do a real in depth look at what it's like to live in Hawaii, but it it is like tourist Hawaii. You know, this is, I will say though, like in in the other scenarios that come later, like it feels like the thing that makes North think like these are not the parents for me are all like. Uh, stereotypes specific to that culture. Whereas here in Hawaii, the thing that bothers him is not like culture related. It's just that they want him to uh, be like the tourism uh, ad for Hawaii. And it's it's like a copper tone, copper tone takeoff where like his shorts are being pulled down by an octopus. So his, Butt crack is visible. He keeps talking about his crack. He won't stop talking about his goddamn <laughs> so much, crack. I, this so is, much crack talk. This is, this is the strongest memory I have from seeing the movie. The two strongest memories I have from seeing the movie as a kid were him saying, my crack? And as a kid, I never used the word crack to talk about my butt. And so it was just like, it felt very weird to hear him yeah. say, my, my, but what about yeah. my crack? Over and over again. It's just like, and it's not funny. It's never funny, you know? It seems like it must have been a different word, and because it is sort of a movie for kids, someone made them change it. Well, yeah. what can he say that won't get us an, uh, an R rating or a PG-13 or whatever? <laughs> He's like, well, he could say crack. Okay, say crack over well, he, and over. But in the okay, script, we, we it very li- clearly says turd cutter. Can he not say <laughs> turd cutter? <laughs> so yeah, so uh, we went to Standards and Practices, and we have the list of acceptable words. There's cleft, divide, crevice, Crevice, crack. Yeah. You know what? Crack is fine. I don't even want to go farther down the down the list. And Rob Reiner's like, Alan, maybe we should go with crevice. And Alan's like, yeah. no, crack has more comedy K's. Let's go with that one. Can we? I what about just... what about shit split? Can we do that? <laughs> in, in can we? I mean, in North's defense, that billboard is weird. It's like, weird. It is, that was like, very it weird. Is, That's it's what very I was weird. To say. Very yeah. bizarre. You <laughs> know, they're like, like, here you go. Here's a billboard of your tush right up on feels... you. Know, you're so, the Coppertone baby. So creepy to watch because it's like a motorized billboard too. Like the right. the octopus keeps pulling down North's pants to continually reveal his crack. But <laughs> over if you and look over. at it in a certain way, the octopus is constantly pushing up those pants. So yeah, you don't okay. have to see his maybe, little butthole. Maybe okay. his, his his bathing suit is too big, and the octopus is like, "Let me help you here." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The crack the, the, half empty, or is the crack half full? That's, that's right. You have yeah, to yeah. look at it that N- way. Now I want to see the outtakes now, where they're like Stuart saying they're using the other words, and he's like, "My balloon knot." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, and I mean, in in the octopus defense, it is a kraken. Oh, oh, wow. Save those jokes okay. for North, too. Sure. Uh, Jordan, don't edit that out. Accentuate no, no. it, please. I think okay, the Kraken's more get... of a squid, but I still appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, Dan, the real Krakens are more like squids. You're right, the real ones that exist in the sea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks, thanks for fact-checking, yeah, Stuart, on that one. Thanks, Balin Greyjoy. Okay, Okay, well. now, uh, now uh, Jordan, take, and I want you to, after Stuart said Kraken, put in a soundbite of Liam Neeson saying, release the Kraken. And then with Dan, uh, put in a, put, it, put in the same soundbite, but instead of Kraken, have Liam Neeson say, pedant. So can you get Liam Neeson to do that for us? That'd be great. Thank you. He's probably okay. busy getting revenge on somebody right now. You'll track him down. So North wanders off. He bumps into Bruce Willis, who is now like some kind of OG beach bum, uh, who's like, kind of like a weird beach hippie. Um, and he's he, looking, he's got a metal detector. He's got a metal detector. Uh, and he they de- walk, they also walk by those guys that the guy that used to do the eat like the aerobics show on ESPN out of nowhere. They're like, do you guys, do you remember watching that show? No, no. I, had, I, had, I, I had, I had, I was not really that into fitness. When I was young, oh, I, well, what? as you can, as I'm sure you can all tell just by looking at me, I was, I loved 
fitness and fitness shows as a child. Well, the fact that you're a beast now. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, I'm ripped and shredded. Uh-huh. That's, you know, it's a podcast, so they'll just have to trust me. But I mean, you're, know. You, you are as close see. to ripped and shredded as someone who regularly eats all of the novelty tie-in <laughs> oh, food I items that Denny's can be. I can't believe we didn't talk about be. that, that this may be your last podcast appearance since probably the Dune breakfast at Denny's is kind of, like they're going to turn Denny's into Doonies for a month and it's all, every item on the menu is going to be Dune themed and you're going to have to eat them all. Eat like giant sandworm food. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's all, you won't it, go, you won't go brokaw from these deals. Uh, I mean, I don't know if, if Denny's would do a joke based off our bit that, that, that Tom Brokaw loves doing. But, you mean Doonies? Yeah, Doonies. Doonies has like, that has like the maker sausage and it's like a sandworm of sausages tied together and you're going to have to eat it. Oh, man. Oh, uh, and you know it's going to be spiced. Well, now you know how. <laughs> uh, let's, now let's, you know I, just, how it... I guess I have to put these chips into this mod dip. Okay. <laughs> I've been... <laughs> Well, now you know how I keep my incredible figure despite eating all that as I watch Body by July. Oh, there's got to be but some. Anyway, that's, I just just such random nonsense in this in this movie. Like that guy, there has to be someone. I can't be the only person who's going to be listening to this podcast who knows that 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 he's just like this ripped uh, Israeli guy who hosted like a fitness show on ESPN for like twenty years. And they're just I think the, he's just randomly in the movie and they're dancing just, around. They're just there for Bruce Willis to make a joke for about how it's it's fool. Why waste your time working? out right you know right it, yeah it's all it's like a very long way to go for that one which having, now, wait. having spent uh like the last year spending a lot of time stretching and working out and trying to get in shape only to have my back collapse on me and then i'm stuck watching north i kind of agree <laughs> with bruce willis yeah mm. now uh, to get back to the important stuff uh, matt how are you going to deal with when you sit down at dooney's having to order the gum burger which is a hamburger with <laughs> chewing gum on it you're not even supposed uh-huh. to swallow that uh, but it's supposed to it, it's a test whether you whether you can survive the pain of of eating it just like the original gum jabar how, how are you going to handle that what's your strategy i don't know it's going to be bad it's going to be real bad i'm getting nervous i'm starting to sweat just sitting here thinking mm-hmm. that someone might actually do this after this uh, I- <laughs> make a dune menu Elliot, every time you say Doonies, I think of like a Dune version of the Goonies. Where I mean, like, they're they're not that Doonies different. The same cast, and they got to get the spice to save the Dune docks. Yeah, uh, I mean, and in and in the and in the at Doonies, you also wash down your meal with a hearty glass of uh, Navigator Aid. <laughs> Uh, oh, nice. Yep, yep, yep. Sorry, it just yep. took me a while to figure that one out. <laughs> or some, or some, or a glass of mentee. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm, uh, now yep. the other thing is, if you the gum, the gum burger is also at McDonald's. <laughs> That's right. Multiple restaurants are doing Dune tie-in menus. <laughs> Deal with it, Matt. You got to eat them all. That's what I, I have to. I have yep. no choice. <laughs> You have to. <laughs> That's that was the deal you made Part with the devil. That you, that you, you would make a living as a, as a film critic, but in exchange you'd have to eat all the movie tie-in food. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So meanwhile, back back happen. at home, did, did we ever figure out exactly where North lives? Uh, any town USA. Any no, town USA. It's uh, he Is doesn't it like live New Jersey or something. He, I think he does live in New Jersey because they. But then he's again at New Jersey later. But he's in upstate New York anyway. He goes to Bowcraft Amusement Park. Yeah. So like he's he's in New Jersey because as everyone knows in the commercials, Bowcraft Amusement Park. It all began over fifty years ago. Rides and games, straight as narrow. Rides and games for kids in every age. Uh, something park in a video arcade. Damn, I can't remember the jingle for Bowcraft Amusement Park, and I watched it so many times as and a kid. And that's not Action Park, right? It's No, no. Action Park is a very different place than Did Bowcraft. you guys ever go to Action Park? 
Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Action Park wow. was where, where you would go when the summer camp didn't have the money for Dorney Park that did, year. Did I already? I feel like I must have recommended uh, Class Action Park here on the show before. The 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 documentary about it that has uh, Hodgman doing the narration. Uh, uh, I, have to, I haven't. I, you might have. I haven't it's watched great. it and I've been meaning to because I want to see if I recognize <laughs> much of it. You know, when I it's watched really it, good. I was like, okay, I like I walked into it thinking like, oh, I'll know what this is. You know, it's a dangerous park, whatever. Like, I mean, I'll, I, I had a sense like, oh, it's a, it'll be a funny documentary about a dangerous park. I was not prepared for how dangerous the park is. <laughs> I mean, the amazing like, thing is though, and it's not just, like, it's not like that came out later. At the time, everyone knew that Action Park was a <laughs> dangerous place to go. Like right. we would talk about it all the time about what, what the, the latest injury was. Yeah. Did was you kid, guys, you know? did you guys ever go? Yeah. 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 Did you ever I mean, get injured? I mean, I is that why? Injured, yeah, no. is that why you have that crazy I, I road rash scar? The, it was. You could always tell which rides were the dangerous ones. Like <laughs> yeah. if a like if a water slide had a loop in it, you knew not to go on that. One. <laughs> That's not a safe ride. No. Sure, sure. So I would avoid those. But I actually, I I lost my glasses on one of like the slides. It was like such a wild <laughs> like ride that my glasses blew off. Yeah, on the ride, and I came out, and I was like twelve years old, going, oh, I make it. And then I was lucky somebody found them. Oh. Okay, I thought you were gonna buy the buy the T-shirt. I lost my glasses in Action Park. Sorry, Stuart. We'll I feel bring... like I feel like that's the sort of thing that the teens working the rides would be super sympathetic about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, great glasses. Okay, nerd. Yeah, sure. Jack. My now, my, reason... my wife Charlene went a couple times, and she said her favorite part was at the end of like the tube slide. As soon as that you come out of like the tube and you're riding on the inner tube, the kids working there would just yank it out from under you. <laughs> yeah, because they gotta get. They don't have that many tubes. They're gonna give it to the next person. Oh man. Yeah, she'll, that was. She'd uh, tell that story way better. The trips there were usually a lot of daring each other to go on things and then yeah. not. You know. Uh, right. The reason I bring out that it's Bowcraft though is purely as an excuse for me to talk about a different jingle from commercials mm. from the New Jersey region, and that's for the Westchester County Fair. Rides and attractions, nonstop action, shows, animals, fireworks too, about the most fun thing you can do. So Bowcraft Amusement Park and the Westchester County Fair are both tied together in my mind as the jingles for places to go. Mm-hmm. So that not, was just a little, uh, not beautiful little bit Mount Airy Lodge. Of, well, of course, there's Beautiful Mount because all you have to bring is your love of everything. Beautiful <laughs> Mount Airy Lodge. So that's for that was my latest edition of regional northeastern commercial, uh, regional northeastern location commercial roundup. Okay, so back come home back the... next time when we'll tell you about Ha Raceway Park. That's another one. <laughs> back home, the kids' revolution has kind of swayed entirely in favor of the kids. Uh, I think we get kind of a state of what's going on while Winchell and John Lovitz are getting uh, massages and uh, treats. I think they're getting like sodas and uh, I think John Lovitz gets a a sex on the beach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now what is now, Stuart, you're a bartender. What is a sex on the beach? I don't really know what's in it. Uh, You know what? Like used condoms and sand? yes. Sand. You know, to be honest, I, it's one of those drinks that uh, I feel like Dan could probably answer this better than me. Because every time I somebody asks for it, I just say that we don't have the right ingredients. But I think it's probably we don't have like peach schnapps or some shit. But it's like rum, peach schnapps, and like, I don't know, pineapple juice. Dan, do you know? That is not one that I mean, I, I do a lot of tropical drinks, but I know which ones to stay away from. And that yeah. was one that I don't know. Call myself now, a bartender. A- <laughs> yeah. Now, what's a fuzzy navel, though? Is that the same thing, or is that something different? That is peach I think... schnapps and, I believe, orange juice, but I'm not yeah. sure. Now, what's a Harvey Wallbanger? Is that the same thing? 
Jesus Christ, stop asking all these like stupid ass drinks I learned and have <laughs> these, these are the forgotten. drinks that like these are the drinks that like got mentioned on sitcoms when I was a kid. So uh, I never what knew what a, they were, but what about a slow comfortable screw against the wall? Like no thanks. Uh, <laughs> and the only, I say get out of here. Get out of here. Stu has no no patience. And, no, and no literally, time the on, literally the only drink I know what it is is a screwdriver only because in that one episode of Faulty Towers the guy is yelling at at John Cleese about what a screwdriver is. That's also why I know that there's grapes and nuts in a Waldorf salad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the next family that uh, North uh, visits is arguably, this might be one of the lowest points of the movie. Uh, He goes to Alaska, which is this Hoth-like tundra. And the (laughs) family is a, is an, I'm guessing an Inuit family played by Graham Greene and uh, Kathy Bates. And the grandfather is played by Abe Vigoda. And they live in like a big igloo yes. that has like uh, all the comforts of an American home, but like yeah. disguised in like ice and shit. It's like it's like a, it's like an American 50s suburb, but everything's made out of snow. It's and like ice. the Flintstones. If the Flintstones was set in like, yeah. And in like an Inuit village, yeah, it's like it, cartoonish. Yeah. Like there's a, like uh, igloos and everything a, is made out of ice. And there's a guy like mowing the snow as they walk by him. And that was the one joke <laughs> yeah. in the whole sequence where I was like, that's kind of a funny idea. But and there, there's even like a random joke where they were like, I didn't even notice it's the first time I saw this because God help me. I've now seen this movie twice in like the last couple months. Like the, where the, the plane like skids and they, there's like a joke about, well, while we're skidding, we'll show you another feature length movie. It's. I mean, it's not funny when I say it, and it's not no, funny. No. But I swear I mean, it's they, in the movie. They literally, yeah. They're literally sitting in the living room of this igloo, and they just whistle the Andy Griffith theme for a little while, and it was like, mm-hmm. I do, this this <laughs> is entering Tim and Eric level, like, non-humor, <laughs> where, like, is the joke that this is just an awkward moment for North yeah. to sit through? Like, I don't, I don't know. So yeah, you, would think, you would think that North would be put off by the cold oh. or the other things, but no, he's put off by the, the tradition of putting their elders out on an ice floe to die. Here's yes. which I mean the only thing less accurate than that is the fact that Kathy Bates, I mean also playing an Inuit when she is not, is doing a sampler <sighs> cross stitch of penguins, which is nuts. Those are Antarctic <laughs> birds. That what, yeah. why no, would it why would an Alaskan have anything to do with penguins? Dan, mm-hmm. I, answer me this. Answer me. Tell me. I'm I mean, mad about it. Penguins are pretty cute. I I, I could see having point. penguin decor. It's a good point. My son loves penguins, live. and he lives in Los Angeles. Okay, yeah, fair yeah. point. Okay, yeah, uh, penguins are I, great. <laughs> so yes, there are. There's a uh, one Native American actor and uh, two white actors, and it it seems weird because it's like, well, you knew you knew good enough to to cast Graham Greene movie, but you didn't go with that any further. But also, yes, this um setting. The elders out to die on an ice floe. Um, you know, I looked <laughs> into this just to like, you know, to like, see if it was a viable option for your family. Yeah, and um, uh, the the widespread practice of doing this is a complete myth. There, there, there were some Inuit who, in times of uh, famine, would uh, you know, like leave the elders behind because they were unable to feed them, and they were the the oldest, but. As a larger cultural thing, this is just a, a, a racist stereotype about 
the Inuit people. You're, you're uh, saying that in real life they wouldn't take a number and then wait until Richard Belzer called their number well, and right. push them off onto an ice floe with a lazy boy and a TV. I that the, yeah. the North thing is inaccurate. I'm no, saying no, no, the but larger a, stereotype No, but that's is... what, that, that also that like it is a, it's a larger stereotype that's not true that the only, the only root of it you're saying comes from tragedy, comes from... For, yes. comes from per- personal tragedy of famine, but it is it is through the filter of of history and humor. It, it's become like the mo- the goofiest way to insult a, a culture. Like it's. I, I will say that the one part of this that made me laugh is you know Abe Vigoda, you, you know everyone keeps saying that he's fine with it, and it's clear that he's not fine with it. And as he floats off, he goes, uh, "It's like if, if your policies change in the next week, uh, come find me." And Kathy Bates is like, "What do you say?" And I sort of enjoy this like last ditch effort, like, "Hey, uh, I, I'll be cool if you want to bring me back." But anyway, real, Abe Vigoda dies. A, yeah, yeah. If they don't, well, we don't know that. Maybe they bring him back at some point. Maybe he, yeah. maybe he bumps into a ship and he leads a mutiny, and now he's a pirate captain. You know, who's going no, around the seas? Or maybe he turns into That's like your North uh, fanfic. Or yes, like he turns yes. into an ice monster, he goes back in time, and he attacks the terror and the other ship that were stuck in the ice, right? Or he mm. turns into an ice monster, and he goes back in time and attacks Chris Elliott and Cabin Boy. There's, all, there's so many ways that so Abe Vigoda could have gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is also, I remind you, this is four years after Dances with Wolves came out, and America briefly had decided to treat Native Americans like people and not cartoon characters. So by the time of North, it is, it's just yeah. out. Indigenous is back to, like, a fictional character. Anyway... Uh, he bumps into go. another. He bumps into another Bruce Willis. This Bruce Willis basically just reminds him time's running out. He wasted too much time walking across the uh, Alaskan tundra. Uh, I guess it was. It was. It had the same emotional weight as that scene in Interstellar where Matthew McConaughey realizes that <laughs> his daughter has grown up and uh, what died. I don't know. And he starts crying all over the place. Yeah, and, and yeah, uh, when they leave Alaska, that's when they says it's been eight weeks, and it's like we. This is like literally been like fourteen minutes of screen time that he's yeah. spent eight weeks. It's yeah. like what is happening? <laughs> it's a lot like in uh, Flight of the Navigator when the kid comes back and he finds that his family doesn't live at the house anymore because it's the future uh, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like you get that twist in your gut where you're like, my parents abandoned me. Um, so yeah, exactly. uh, North then jumps on a plane and he goes to, um, I'm guessing like middle America to meet with some Amish parents played by Kelly McGillis and Carl from Die Hard. And I was like, that's Carl from Die Hard. Uh, and Kelly McGillis, of course, uh, a reference to Witness. I'm sure all the kids watching were mm-hmm. like, oh, that R-rated that. thriller. The, the, <laughs> it's the Amish woman that Harrison Ford f- fell in love with. And uh, that's the joke. Anyway. Now I've never seen that. Who's the witness in it? Is You've it her seen or is it Kelly McGillis? I've never gotten around to it. Isn't it Lucas Haas a very young? I don't know. Lucas You're Haas? asking me, the guy who asked the question. I don't know. <laughs> there are two other people on this Zoom call, Elliot. Oh, good point. But no, good point. witness. Uh, if you've not seen it, that is that is a Should very I see good it? movie. It's it's marginally better than North. I will say that. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Witness is one of those movies that growing up I would hear a lot about, but I was too young to see it. And by the time I grew up, it was like. I don't need to, you yeah. know, I don't, I don't need to dig back. I guess nobody talks about it anymore. Yeah, and I mean, I, and if you if you want to learn about the Amish experience, obviously the movie you turn to is Kingpin, starring Randy Quaid. Right. And, exactly, uh, something right. where they, they, I mean, he he spent years living with them. Yeah, to, uh, to, <laughs> <laughs> to fit with, for that role with John Popper and the rest of Blue Blue Traveler. Um, <laughs> so uh, North then runs uh, runs away. Oh, he. His next family is what appears to be some kind of uh, like a Chinese royal family, and they show him a selection of haircuts, and he says, no, 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 and he runs away. Yeah, this is uh, a parody of uh, The Last Emperor. 
this uh-huh. uh, this little section here until Again, they show another childhood home. favorite. Yeah, all the kids, they, you know, <laughs> yeah this, their two favorite movies are Witness and The Last Emperor. This whole sequence is done like rapid fire, getting in the shitty offensive jokes as quickly as possible, they, so they can get through it. They're like, what other what other races have we not hit yet? Yeah. Got to go to Zaire. Yeah. That's where yep. we're going yeah. next. Yeah, they, uh, he turns down an African family out of concerns that being around topless women would distract him from his homework, which is whatever, man, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> he, he turns down a French family because the only options on television are Jerry Lewis movies. And this, this is one of these things. This is a stereotype of the French that I remember knowing as a kid before I really knew who Jerry Lewis was or had seen any of his work. I knew that, oh, yeah, French people are weird because they think Jerry Lewis is funny and his stuff is not funny and saw this joke in the movie and, like, got it. Like, I understood the point of the joke. And it's just very – it just seems like such a blast from another time because, like, does yes. anyone talk about the French and Jerry Lewis anymore? No, of course not. Like, okay, and it, probably <laughs> France one time gave Jerry Lewis an award, and that was it. Like, and it was just – I don't know. It's, it's, it's such a strange time capsule of a time when this is what people knew about France, and also Jerry Lewis was considered, like, just the worst old hack stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. As opposed to now yeah. where he's remembered as a mean man who was very cheap and mean to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, like, didn't he invent the, like, the little monitor that you can watch? He's, I, I, he, he said he invented video playback, yeah, where you would mm-hmm. have a video monitor attached to it. But I remember saying that to somebody as if that was an achievement, and they were like, so he attached a TV to the camera? Great. <laughs> Wait, is, it, is, is, is he the guy who uh, saying great balls of fire? No, that's Jerry Lee Lewis. That's a different Jerry Lewis. Uh, they're brothers, though. Yeah, they're, yeah they are brothers. Yeah. They have the first name, but different, same first name, different middle names. Mm-hmm. That's, right. that's how they're going to get apart. Yeah. Yep. So uh, North ends up in upstate New York to meet with the Nelsons, uh, a very traditional, uh, what, American nuclear family uh, played by uh, John Ritter. Uh, Faith Ford, and I don't know who plays the son, but the the daughter is played by future Miss Colin Jost. That's right, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Miss Colin, jo- Mrs. Colin Jost. It's not wow. future Miss Colin Jost. Or Miss, or Miss. But there's yeah. no Miss Colin Jost unless, yeah. like, that's <laughs> unless there's some kind of there's some kind of accident where they're going to like Jeff Goldblum's lab and he's going to teleport them from one tube to another and mm-hmm. instead they come out mixed into one person. Mm-hmm. Then maybe it would be Miss Colin Jost. I don't uh-huh. know. Is that going to happen, Dan? Is Jeff Goldblum still looking into that technology? Uh, well, I mean, I think he sort of dissolved at a certain point. So no. Oh, that's a good point, probably. And then he just he focused on piano playing after that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, meanwhile, Winchell is back home. He is now super rich. He has like a whole uh, like he has a whole skyscraper. Uh, he has an office that is filled with fucking early '90s arcade mm-hmm. cabinets. I could oh, not tear my eyes oh, yeah. away from fucking NBA Jam, Terminator Two, that game with the Terminator guns. Two. Uh, yeah. did I that miss Terminator any? Two. The Terminator 2 game, I played it so many times in the in the lobby of the Lowe's movie theater uh-huh. uh, in, what, East Hanover, I guess it was. And it was like, and so seeing that video game, I was like, I know it well. Oh, Terminator 2 yeah. game with the two <laughs> Uzi guns. I, rem- I you remember know, you, you well. You know somewhere in that office, there's either an X-Men the arcade game or TMNT oh, yeah. the, the arcade screens. game. And like, mm-hmm. yeah. you can play four people. What the hell? I don't even have that many friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet he's got it rigged up too so there's the button underneath where you just press it to give yourself extra lives whenever you want 
Uh, dr- living the dream is Winchell at this point. Uh, although, so, although the implication is that John Lovitz is the one who plays these games, that <laughs> Winchell is. Yeah, not. we never see. That's true. The kid never plays them. I, that's you know. Yeah, Lovitz is always on on these games, playing in the background of scenes whenever Winchell's doing I, his evil he, evil uh, manipulations the, of video. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Winchell likes the look of opulence. That's why he's got uh, he's got Richard Simmons playing on one of his TV monitors at all times. He's got. Arcade cabinets around. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Winchell Winchell confuses me because like well he starts off as like a simple newspaper man who like who you know gets on board with North because it's a uh, a great story for his uh, school paper, but then like over time I guess it's the Citizen Kane thing they're going for. He just like grows addicted to the power and like yeah. the so newspaper to power is the is the thing, but without. I mean, I think there is one like pretty overt Kane reference as well. But again, yeah. as a child, you're like, I I would be like, why does this kid want to like cause so much trouble? So much so that you know, I think we talked about it before. By the end of the movie, he's sending people out to assassinate North. Uh, he's also he's also this like yeah he's like the puppet master controlling this whole scheme but we never see his parents and we have no idea what like why does he why does he care so much about uh see that should be the cut North, scene. like this plan of you know like i will destroy the parents of the world and it's just like you've never seen like who, give, why does this kid care he seems to be doing just fine well, and if it was if a he funnier has no movie, parents then maybe that could be his movie, motivation but if it was a funnier movie like you wouldn't need that reason it would just be like oh it's funny that this guy is becoming a power mad you know villain but it's not so it would be great to know why he's doing this other than like he's that kind of uh uh that kind of older than his years kid that everybody hates and ends up becoming like an advisor to president trump you know yep. at some point in his life you know that, that because he wants to take it out in the world yeah but uh so meanwhile, yeah. North he's, he's parents a, but, and also and, and also I have to say with the casting, they were like, "Can you get us the next Macaulay Culkin?" Okay, we'll get you a blonde kid who looks like like if you squint, he looks like a Culkin. Okay, we'll bring him in. And I will say, this kid, with what with the material he's given, he gives it at us all. I don't know him. I don't know if he's still an actor, but yeah. I think he does a fine job considering they give him some kind of thankless uh, material. I looked him up. He had more child roles, but this was, I mean, he didn't, he did not this make the transition yeah. to adult actor. He did not turn out to be Nicky Cox. So no. uh, North's parents <laughs> finally wake up and Winchell's like, uh Oh, this is going to disrupt all my plans because they want this kid back. So he interviews them. Uh, and then he takes their interview where they are pleading for their child to come back to them. And he doctors that shit. Mm-hmm. And has it sent over to the Nelsons, who were playing a very exciting game of Clue, and then they all give each other a hug before bed. And then North gets that doctor tape, and he watches it, and it is doctored to make his parents very much say things like, we don't want Hugh. We, we don't want Hugh. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, they clearly don't want him based on this tape. Uh, and so North is like, I don't know. My my original parents don't want me, but for some reason, they're not wanting me. Kind of makes me want them. Isn't that weird, guys? <laughs> yeah, they're they're nagging him. Yeah, yeah. It's weird how that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so the Nelsons, who are perfect in every way, they're tossed out like yesterday's trash. The thing about the Nelsons, they're like you're. They're supposed to be like your classic white upper middle class, everyone like tight knit family that you see in like. TV shows, they're I guess. The, they're the Cleavers. They're the I mean, Cleavers. His name is yeah. even Ward, you know. Or to, like, to put it in my generation's uh, uh, parlor, they're like uh, they're like a real family ties, and uh, yes. they, but it, they are presented as so 
objectively like or subjectively perfect that it's super creepy. Like I kept waiting for the thing where it turns yes. out like that they're going to eat North or something yeah. like that or like they're Satan worshippers. <laughs> like it was – they yeah. do it so far over the board that every time John Ritter's like, well, North, I think uh, – we really want you to be a part of this family. It was just like, they, I don't know. This is really creepy. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. of all the families, they're probably the ones that I was most scared by, yep. you know. But yeah. that could have been a funny joke if that's what that, if that's what happened. Right. But instead, literally, like, Stuart is saying, North is, just decides to leave. Yeah. And they, I think they even say something like, we don't know why you're leaving. And North says, neither do I. Yeah. <laughs> they, don't, they don't even provide an explanation. He just leaves. Like yeah. you're saying, like, like well, well, my parents hate me. I guess I'll go find them. The other thing about this, too, is like they are trying to, I guess, as Stuart was saying, comment on like sort of like the perfect family you'd see on television. But like the problem is like making them the one perfect family, like it really does underline like all the other racial stereotypes, but like, yeah. whereas like North's like here, this is what I wanted—a good old-fashioned white family like I see on TV mm-hmm. that just like sits around in the suburbs, you know. And it's like a white family on, that North. plays Clue and goes to Bowcraft Amusement Park. I mean, they've got rides and games for kids of every yeah. age. Uh, yeah. But the it really is, yeah. The movie is not saying like here's our play on the perfect family. The movie is like this is the perfect family. As opposed to all those Inuits and Africans who are crazy and weird. And it's like, uh, yeah. this movie, so Win- I don't know, come on. Winchell is not happy with this, so of course he dispatches his assassin to uh, kill North. Uh, North gives the assassin the slip in the mean streets in New York. Well, North has decided to go to New York. He's running out of time, so he's going to lose himself in the underbelly of the city so that the judge yeah, can't right. send him to an orphanage. Uh-huh. Even New York is a stereotype. It's like, yeah. it's 1994, but it's like <laughs> a stereotype of like, you know, it's like Travis Bickle is like around the corner. He's uh-huh. like wandering Times Square and there's like prostitutes and like seedy porn theaters. It's like that and... scene in uh, Last Action Hero where the like guy gets murdered for his sneakers outside the movie theater. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, he gives the assassin the slip and then he just finds an I love New York sweater on a bench in the park and he mm-hmm. puts that shit on immediately disguised. Well done, Agent 47. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, well, North hates New York, so that can't be yeah. <laughs> So uh, he then runs into Adam, a previously unseen kid character who's well, dressed as saw, like a deep throat figure. We saw him in the background of some of the scenes with Winchell, but I don't think he was okay. ever given a name or dialogue before yeah. this point. Right. And so Adam here reveals Winchell's plan to North and hands him the original undoctored tape, but it's a VHS tape, so he's going to have to find a VCR to play that shit. Now, Ad- and Adam has disguised himself by putting on, like, a top hat, right? So it's like, I better uh-huh. be conspicuous. I'll be a kid in a top hat walking around Central Park at night. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally conspicuous. I'll just be the littlest hobo. Sure. He's going to blend right in. Uh-huh. <laughs> So North uh, then escapes on a truck while the killer chases him and uh, shoots at him. Uh, the killer finds a uh, what appears to be a blood-covered hat. That must that must be North's blood, uh, and assumes that North has been killed. Of course, North is not killed. That was Borscht squirting out of a Borscht truck that he was riding in. Uh, and he hides again in a convention center where Bruce Willis shows up again doing stand-up comedy, and it is just as hilarious as you would imagine. <laughs> And this is another one where he's telling the joke he's telling. It's what it's the smoke detector. Uh, the National yeah. Association of Smoke Alarm People, yeah, and, NASA. And he's uh, and he's t- but he's telling a joke about a couple having sex and then talking if they if they're going to smoke after sex or like saying, "Do you smoke after sex?" And it's like, 
This is the second time the word sex has been used in this kids movie. Like, what's going on here? Come on, guys. Even in, well, the, even, used- in, even in the 90s, when sexual health was on everybody's lips, and it had to be because of what, you know, the, what the world was, mm-hmm. it still was like, it's a little weird to have it be that they- joke that he's telling. They, they used up all of their edgy material with the two mentions of sex, which is why they had to say crack ten times instead of something <laughs> oh, else. Oh, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, he, Bruce Willis lets him into his, uh, Bruce Willis lets him into his dressing room, and I'm like, oh, shit. This is going to be like a very special episode. But it's not. He's cool, guys. It doesn't get gross. And then he... You're right, because when Bruce Willis signed on to the movie, he said, well, at least one of my characters turns out to be a sexual predator, right? Or else I'm not doing the movie. And Rob Reiner said, we have been working with Zweibel. We just can't find a way to make it work with the tone of the movie. A movie where an assassin is sent after a boy and thinks that he has shot him in the head. We just can't make it work for one of your characters to turn out to be a sexual predator. And Bruce said, that's it. I'm walking. Luckily... Old Bruce Willis from the future was there, and he said, okay, right. I'll take the part. Bruce uh-huh. Willis, in competition with his future self, said, oh, no, 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 I've got it, I've got it, I've got yeah. it, I'll do it, I'll do it. You just wait around here, old Bruce Willis, until it's time for you to fall through the time portal again and, and go back y- to your And own young time. Bruce Willis, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is like, what about me? What about me? I was going to say, this is, this is the Looper sequel we never got, <laughs> what you're describing yeah. here. Looper 2, Super Duper Looper, and it all do takes you, place <laughs> on the set of North. Do, yeah. you think when, do you think when Ryan Johnson approached Bruce Willis for that, uh, Bruce Willis is like, before I agree to Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing me, I'm going to need to see some of his past work. And he's watching Third Rock from the Th- Sun, and he's like, I wish my hair looked like that. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's what it was. Okay, uh, so um, he gets some good advice from Bruce Willis. Uh, he gets a ride to the airport. Unfortunately, he can't fly because the, they've already received the newspaper, and he's presumed dead, so they can't let him fly. Uh, kids start chasing him because they realize that if he surfaces, that it will ruin their uh, new world order. Uh, and then he ends up on a FedEx truck with another Bruce Willis. This was, the, I think, the laziest of the Bruce Willises, to have this Bruce Willis show up at the end. But then when he's dropped off at home, it's not Bruce Willis, it's a completely which was different weird. Guy, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a diff- yeah, he gets on one FedEx truck and is driven there, and then he gets off and it's another driver. That was very strange. Uh-huh. I didn't understand that at yeah. all. I mean, put that down in Goof Stan on the IMDb okay, entry. I'll get, I'll get on it. I'll goof it up. So he gets delivered to his parents' house. He arrives at his parents' house, and his family is not there. Instead, he runs into Winchell, and they have this kind of showdown where you kind of see how much they've changed since their paths have diverged. It's like in that Dan Abnett novel, Riders of the Dead, where the two uh, cousins go to war, and then after a disastrous battle, one of them ends up spending time with some Kislevite horse lancers and uh, some winged lancers. And he kind of realizes actually the truth of Uh being noble and fighting. It's not all just like this, uh, like the fancy armor and weapons. It's actually, you know, honor and whatnot. Whereas his cousin gets captured by the the barbarian tribes of the North and he becomes a worshiper of of Zinch, the changer of ways, the great deceiver. And he gains all these mutations and he becomes this powerful chaos Lord only to die at his cousin's blade at the very end. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, Uh, it's basically the plot of Manhattan melodrama. Great. Okay. Moving on. (laughs) So uh, he then realized that in order to reunite with his parents, he has to go, I got, I got a little confused well, it's, here. It's weird. Winchell tells him, you have to go to where your, your parents are at your special spot. Yeah. And the judge had said, your parents have to hug you when time, when the deadline reaches. I actually didn't remember him saying this <laughs> earlier, but it's like, you have to be in your parents' arms when the deadline reaches or else it, you have to go to the orphanage. And I don't know why Winchell is like, he's kind of like taunting him a little bit, but I don't know why he is 
I don't know why Winchell is telling him this thing. I, like in a movie where none of it makes sense, this was the scene that made the least sense to me. Where well, almost as if the villain is like, "I give up. Here's what you need to know to win. Goodbye." I'm not in the movie. Well, he's trying anymore. to set him up. He's trying to get he's him to run to... out there and get blasted by his assassin. Tell him to go somewhere right, where his parents. He's got his assassin. <laughs> but yeah. tell him to go somewhere where his parents aren't and send the assassin yes, after him. Exactly. Cover your bases, Winchell. He wants Come his on. parents to see him get blasted. It's pretty. Why would you? I mean, that's, and, and Winchell is just in a corner <laughs> masturbating at, at watching parents seeing their their child die because he's that hey, evil. That's that was the subtext. Uh, so he's that he's, evil, and also he's that age when he cannot keep his hand off his dick. He's just discovered it, and yeah. he just cannot get enough of it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Who needs an arcade stick when he's got a stick of his own to play with? Um, so he's about to reunite with his... <laughs> what? an arcade stick. <laughs> That's what those know, are called. I don't know why in that in that horrible thing you just said. That's that's the what really got to me. It was probably an arcade stick. I also like the idea that he's already he's already got a video game salami. Stick. Why not hit his own? You know, they do totally different things. But I guess once you start masturbating, anything that is like vaguely penis shaped goes out the window. You're like, who needs this? I can't. I mean, I mean, and the I don't thing, need this. I mean, Maybe there is a joystick that works with an up and down motion on the shaft of the stick. I don't know. Most of them you kind of push forward and pull back, but oh, man. I don't know. Matt's yeah. looking for an exit. Um, so, <laughs> so he's just about to reunite with his parents. They got to go in for that legal hug when, uh, <laughs> when the, the hitman is waiting and he shoots and that gunshot wakes North up from his sleep. He was just dreaming He's sitting in that giant chair that he nor- he was sitting at earlier. He had clearly fallen asleep after his talk, or possibly before the talk. I don't care. Um, with Bruce Willis <laughs> before, and he realized this whole movie that you watched was all a dream. All that racist shit—that's in his head. I mean, if <laughs> yeah. that's, I mean, the fact is, if a little kid doesn't know, only knows what the media has told him about types of people that he has not himself encountered so maybe that is an excuse for the racism in the movie that this kid is actually racist it's not and that rob reiner should run out at that point on screen and say see it's not me who's racist it's north who's racist North. i mean sure i thought his story was something that needed to be told for some reason (laughs) even though there's barely any like personal development by anyone in it it's just somebody then the moral is i guess be happy with what you have yeah and he's like it's like when it's like when when brad pitt beats up bruce lee and once upon a time in Hollywood, it was that character's fantasy. It di- isn't actually intended oh, to be I real see. Yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, I accept that that's the reason. Why, but then, he, why would his fantasy does he wreck that lady's car, which hurts his career? I don't understand, Stuart. Hold on a second, because he needs to he needs to justify why his career is wrecked by things that are not direct, uh, are kind of his fault, but also kind of cool, right? Stuart, okay. Stuart now, how do you explain the fact that they continue to torture the the Manson family even after the Manson family have long stopped being a threat and are now the victims of what Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are doing? I'm not excusing the whole movie. Because <laughs> Ro- I mean, is- Rob Reiner's not excusing the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, Rob, Reiner, Rob Reiner runs out and goes, I know that this woman is now blind and is drowning in a pool. Leonardo DiCaprio did not need to set her on fire as well. But look, it's Leonardo DiCaprio who's mean. Not Quentin Tarantino. Certainly, this, he doesn't approve of everything yeah. his characters do. For our, for our more sensitive listeners, let me assure you that Stuart is deep in the well of irony right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, oof. Okay. Uh, so Bruce Willis is there and he's like, oh, this kid's still sleeping. I guess I'll give him a ride home. 
uh, and North sees his parents. They're happy to see him. Another, another, another moment where Stuart was worried this might become a, an, a very special episode, but he just gives him yep, a ride home. It's no. okay. Yep, just a ride Again, home. Bruce Willis's desire in this fant- ironic fantasy joke to be a sexual predator on film is not borne out. Thank you, everyone, for your restraint. <laughs> Again, this is not something I'm saying the real Bruce Willis wants. It's something that this fictional version of Bruce Willis that we have created purely for the existence of a bit, that's what he wants. Anyway, so Rob Reiner runs out in the podcast now and goes, it's not... It's not the Flophouse hosts who are gross. It's this fictional version of Bruce Willis. <laughs> anyway, go see the American president. <laughs> You'll have to last you the, ne- the next few decades because I'm not going to make anything else good. <laughs> I'm going to look up his movies and see what it, see if there's any. I mean, he made like primary co- – no, he didn't make that. That was Mike Nichols. Never mind. Uh, so credits, ro- credits roll, baby. Everybody's happy. Oh, he did do Primary North Colors. There you go. That's an okay movie. Oh, no. He's in it. Never mind. He didn't direct it. Got, sorry. Continue. Okay, so that's the end of the movie. That's the whole thing. North gets yeah. back with his family. He realizes his mistake all along. Hugs his parents, and that's the end. That's they the they end, miss him God. because of because of course they would. He's been gone all day, and he gets the wrong message, which is when he needs their attention, he just needs to disappear for a while. Yeah. So, okay, the last Rob Reiner movie that I have any memory of existing is The Bucket List in 2007. Oh, I forgot that was a Rob Reiner. Now movie. let let us let us go through his next 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 movies and I'll ask you whether you have any memory or knowledge of this movie. There's a movie called Flipped in 2010. Got to assume it's about house buying and selling. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, or some kind of movie. parkour championship. Oh, there's I was yeah. going to say it's like the Flipper reboot. But yeah, okay. yeah, Flipper's cool now. He's flipped. There's a TV <laughs> now- movie called 8 then there's the magic of Bell Prequel Isle. to eight and a half. Yes, the uh, prequel to eight before the the whole movie is is is, is Marcello Mastroianni trying to find a half. <laughs> uh, it's a movie about uh, uh, California's Proposition Eight. Uh, oh, okay. But uh, we got the magic of Bell Isle that has uh, Morgan Freeman in it. Do not recall. I don't know that this there's... this feels like a movie that a poster that would be in the background of a movie where Morgan Freeman plays an actor. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't I there's don't know a, what there's a f- I don't know anything about it. <laughs> There's a film called And So It Goes. Big stars here, Michael Douglas and Diane Keaton. Do not recall this film. Being Charlie. Um, and then what do we got after Being Charlie? We got LBJ and Shock and Awe. Wait, is Being Charlie so, the sequel to that uh, charade remake that Jonathan Demme made? <laughs> the truth about Charlie? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're unrelated. It's, uh, I do vaguely remember this LBJ one. Yeah, LBJ, I remember, Toronto. I remember when it came out. Woody yeah. Harrelson is in it. So that one I have vaguely heard of. The yeah. rest, you could have made them all up and I would have had no idea. Being Charlie sounds like the next iteration of Charlie Kaufman's career where he's just making movies about him, himself just completely. He's like, yeah. I'm not even I'm not even pretending the movie is about anything else. It's no, just about no artifice. Me. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing. Well, anyway, uh, let's all remember Rob Reiner's early movies and uh, remember him fondly. Let's, let's forget. Yeah. Here's the thing that at the end of this movie, so this is a big comedy movie, right? Lots of lots of gags, lots of jokes. You'd expect it to end on some kind of a big joke. It ends on like the the merest whimper of they literally you watch you're looking at their house and you hear them go, "Okay, North, get get into your pajamas, we'll make you something to eat." North goes, "Okay." And that's the end of the movie. Like fade to yeah. black. Fade to black. Yeah. And it was like did they? I, I I was watching it and I was like, "Did they lose the end of the movie? Like did they lose the last yeah. 5 seconds of the I movie?" Also I also feel know. like uh, like Jason Alexander, like he delivers the final line. I don't remember what exactly it is, but 
he delivers it as if he thinks that there's more to come. Like, like he doesn't <laughs> yeah. realize this is the end. Yeah. He's just kind of trailing off. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now, one yeah, thing I'll mention is... Yeah, he's expecting a big moment like Kevin McAllister shoveling dirt on the grave of the Wet Bandits. Like at the end of Home Alone. <laughs> yeah, and the, like the original ending of Home Alone where the parents drive up just the as original. Kevin is burying the man, men that he murdered. X-rated cut that only played in Europe of yeah. Home Alone. Just like when, when, I, when I was a kid and everyone was like, oh yeah, there's an R-rated Wile E. Coyote cartoon where he catches the Roadrunner and kills him. And I was like, I gotta see this cartoon. Turns out it doesn't exist, because why would you make it? That's not the point of the Wile E. Coyote cartoons, uh-huh. that he would catch him eventually. Kids yeah, don't and know when what you, they're talking about, they're dumb. You actually found that videotape and then a boulder fell on top of your head. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I, 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 I saw the Roadrunner run into the video store where the tape was, and I ran after him, but it was just painted on a rock. So yeah. I just flattened against it. Not the country of rock, but the, uh, you know, an actual um, rock. Okay, well, let's do our final judgments, whether this is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of like. Um, at the beginning, I almost thought, oh, maybe this is a good, bad movie, because, like... First, I don't know. Like, this is a short movie. It's less than 90 minutes long, although it feels interminable. Like, the first 30 minutes, I'm like, oh, I could see enjoying this as a good, bad movie just because it is so poorly calculated. Like, you're kind of baffled that it exists. But then, like, it gets both more offensive and just more boring. Uh, And, you know, I was having a a lot of trouble paying attention by the end, so I would not recommend anyone watch this. It's bad, bad. Uh, anyone else raring to go? Uh, no, I would also call it a, a bad, bad movie. It's not very good. Yeah, I mean, I had, I don't know. Like, it was, I was not particularly enjoying it. Uh, and then he got to Texas, and I'm like, okay, maybe we're going to see some actors that I have affection for doing some kind of fun stuff. And then it all went down. It all got worse. So no thanks. It takes a it takes a very steep drop. It it doesn't start from a high point, but after those yeah those first twenty minutes, it takes a very a very steep drop. And then I don't know about you guys, but when when he wakes up at the end and it's all a dream, mm-hmm. like I get actively angry. Like, uh-huh. uh, but just... he does find in his pocket the magic coin that Cowboy Bruce Willis gave to him, which otherwise plays almost no role in the entire movie. So that's right. Maybe it wasn't <laughs> all a dream, although clearly it was. It, it doesn't make any sense. So I, I don't understand. I do think I do think it is kind of funny because it is all a dream. Like when you look at it again, when you rewatch it, you're like, okay, so this what actually happens in this movie is this self-pitying overachiever has a one bad dinner he goes to the mall he takes a nap and he goes home that is the sum total of the events of this movie and everybody just walks by this sleeping kid and is like fuck it yeah (laughs) they close the mall around we're turning off all the lights nobody uh easter bunny bruce willis you're gonna lock up when you go tonight from the mall yeah yeah don't disturb the the, don't disturb the unattended child who's sleeping in the mall let's leave i mean don't turn on the chopping mall robots tonight yeah when i worked in a when i worked in a mall we did have that rule if there's any children sleeping in your store you have to let them continue well, because you know children are like sleepwalkers if you wake them up it could kill them you just have to let children That's sleep right. as, as long as you can wait now, is so that here's... is that what would happen to the the guy who falls asleep and then becomes sleepwalker the superhero no when yes, he falls asleep it allows sleepwalker the superhero to enter the waking but what world. if you wake him up does he die or does sleepwalker die I think Sleepwalker just gets pulled back into so the he dream doesn't world. vanishes until okay. the next now, time he sleeps. Yeah. What would happen no. to the Sleepwalkers from the movie Sleepwalkers? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, they Good do question. die eventually. Uh, they, That's true. Uh, and yeah, I don't we know all die eventually, <laughs> Elliot. I I'm mean. also not sure why they're called sleepwalkers since they're cat people. So it doesn't. Uh, they know. play that that song "Sleepwalk" a lot in the movie. You're right. Uh, that explains it. Monsters, monsters are often their names are denoted <laughs> by what song, by what, by what classic <laughs> instrumental rock they play. I, I think it's because they were like, "Can we be cat people?" And they're like, "Nope." No, we can't call cat people. There are already movies called that. Uh, I this is a movie that, to be honest, a movie about a kid who, like is mad at their parents, goes and t- takes a nap, and then comes back. That's basically the movie Little Fugitive, which is a great movie. Like, that's a, fa- that's a fantastic movie. And, but it's a movie about a kid wandering around, like, Coney Island, basically, uh, and then returning home. And it's like, I wish they had made that movie, but instead they filled it with all the, the whimsical stuff. But here's the thing. North sometimes gets a rough shake. And I just want to point out, on the goofs section of North's IMDb page, it says, Factual Errors. Despite providing an extensive definition of borscht, the movie fails to acknowledge the fact that it's a soup, so it's mostly liquid and unsuitable for distribution via cartons. Guys, I'm sure inside those boxes there were cans of borscht. So let's take – somebody go on IMDb and say this is incorrectly labeled as a goof. This is a perfectly good explanation for why you would have crates of borscht. Because yeah, inside yeah. the crate, there's borscht in some other container. It's not like cans of soup are just delivered in enormous cans. You have yeah, boxes like, of yeah, cans giant of soup. drums. Yeah. Plus, it's it's all a dream anyway. So, yeah. as far as North knows, again, anything that's bad, you can just blame North. And that's movie. true. So it's any- North doesn't understand the concept of force. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every okay, one of these, every one of these goofs, like for here, it says when North North's Alaskan family is walking their grandfather to the shore, the ceiling of the studio of the scene is filmed. <laughs> is, filmed is, is filmed in his dream. It's North's dream. In his dream, it was taking place in the studio. It's all North's dream. He Come thought on. Alaska had a ceiling. North was an idiot. It's what just, can you say? <laughs> <laughs> Errors in geography. When North is being chased to a New York airport, he passes a neon eagle on the wall. This eagle is in the Los Angeles airport. North doesn't know airport signs. It's North's dream. Rob Reiner jumps out on the IMDb page. It's North. Blame North. I'm fine. It's I didn't make the mistakes. North did. Uh, yeah, I love all, the my, idea that all Rob my critiques can... about... I think Rob Reiner just sent me a text and it says, all the critiques about Bruce Willis's accent are bullshit. That's how North believes he talks. <laughs> oh. Right. I love right, the right, idea right. of, of a it. director. Thanks for the text. I better respond I, to him. A director saying the movie is all a dream so that he can blame the character for the problems with the movie. Like, we did the best with what we could. We were stuck with North's dumb dream, okay? We tried to make it into a good movie. Blame North. You try to make a movie out of a 10-year-old's dream. It's not easy. (laughs) It's not easy. (laughs) We have wasted this world. Our magic put a storm in the sky that has rendered the surface of our planet uninhabitable. But beneath the surface, well, that's another story entirely. In a city built leagues below the apocalypse, survivors of the storm forge paths through a strange new world. Some seek salvation for their homeland above. Others seek to chart the vast undersea expanse outside the city's walls. And others still seek what else? fortune and glory dive into the ether sea the latest campaign from the adventure zone every other thursday on maximumfun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts the 2021 pin sale has begun thank you so much to everyone who participated in the max fun drive this is the last year for a while that we'll be doing pins for max fun drive and the fifth year that we'll be selling pins and donating all proceeds to charity 
The past year proved what we already knew, that having access to the internet at home is a necessity for work, school, healthcare, and keeping in touch with family and friends. So the proceeds from this year's pin sale will go towards Everyone On, a nonprofit working to bridge the digital divide. We're grateful that with your support, we'll be able to help low-income folks gain access to affordable computers, internet services, and digital literacy programs. The sale will run until May 28th. Folks at the $10 monthly level and above will have access to all of the pins from the drive. That's 38 pins, one from every show on the network. We also have a special 2021 Max Fun Drive pin that all members can purchase. Go to maximumfun.org/pinsale for more info. And to learn more about Everyone On and support them directly, you can go to everyoneon.org. The Flophouse is sponsored in part by Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can turn your cool idea into a new website. You can blog or publish content. You can sell products and services of all kinds and much, much more. And Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful, customizable templates created by world-class designers with everything optimized for mobile right out of the box a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions and free and secure hosting. So go to squarespace.com flop for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code flop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey, Dan, I had an idea for a website and I was wondering if Squarespace would be able to help me with setting it up. I, think, uh, I bet they would, but uh, lay it on me. I bet they could do. It's called AreMyKidsDreamsRacist.com, and uh, it would be your place on the internet where for a small fee or maybe a membership, maybe it's a membership in case your kids have a lot of dreams, you would, would type up a description of your kids' dreams. You would send it to our dream analysis experts, and they would tell you whether your kid has uh, – you know, whether their subconscious is not treating uh, people like equals the way they should or is uh, – churning through kind of outdated or offensive cultural stereotypes uh, and ethnic stereotypes. So uh, we would share these dreams around the office and laugh at them, like, can you believe Uh how racist this kid is? But you don't have to worry about that. It's never going to come out in public. That's just the kind of stuff any place that looks at personal – you know, if you don't think that the people who – who uh, who are developing your photos at the mall aren't (laughs) looking at your pictures and laughing at Mm -hmm. them, of course they are. Anyway, so that's – are my kids dreams racist.com uh, and it's probably going to be brought to you by um, uh, Mattel. So do you think oh, uh, wow. <laughs> do you think Squarespace what? would be able to make that into a website? Uh, got some probably. Backing, huh? I mean, it's an interesting pivot for Mattel, but uh, yeah, they've sounds... been wanting to move out of the toy space and into the kid psychology space for quite some time. Mm, yeah. So yeah. Oh, great. I haven't pitched uh, well, it to Mattel yet, but I figured I'd get the website up and running, slap their name on it, and then see if they have a problem with it. Yeah. yeah. Stuart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's better to ask for forgiveness than beg for permission, right? Mm-hmm, exactly, yeah. I believe, Stuart, you have a Jumbotron to read, and then What's uh, that coming? has one as well. What's that coming from the sky? It's a Jumbotron. <laughs> well, I can hear that Jumbotron siren in the background. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Woo, woo, woo. Okay. Stuart and Stephanie is a scripted narrative podcast that reverses the gay best friend trope, exploring the friendship between a hopelessly single straight man and an impulsive gay woman as they navigate the world of modern dating. It's like a reverse will and grace, except it's not on TV and you can only listen to it. If nothing else, fans of The Flophouse will enjoy how the name reminds them of Stuart Wellington. 
I know I'm excited about it. So search for Stuart and Stephanie on iTunes and subscribe. And Elliot, uh, I believe you have a personal Jumbotron. I've got a very personal Jumbotron. This is a message for Joel, and it's from Will. And the message is, happy birthday, Joel, from Will. Thank you for being my brother and for making it through a rough 2020. And thank you for introducing me to this podcast, which has helped us both understand our personalities. I'm a Dan, you're an Elliot, and we're both aspiring stewards. Dune, Tom Brokaw, forever. And in case you're a Joel and you have a brother who's named Will and you're not sure if this is for you or not, uh, Joel's birthday is May 24th. So uh, if you're a Joel who has a brother named Will and your birthday is May 24th, then happy birthday from your brother. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, Y'all got any personal plugs before we move the show along? Hey guys, Maniac of New York continues its rampage through the comic book stores and also the streets of fictional New York. And by streets, I mean subway system. Maniac of New York number four should be on store shelves now if it hasn't sold out yet. And number five, the final issue of this first series comes out on June 9th. And then maybe there will be more in the future. Hmm? So that's number five on June 9th. And then maybe more in the future. Hmm? Maniac of New York from Aftershock Comics. It's a comic. Go buy it in the comic book store. Yeah, it's great. That's it. That's all my plugs. <laughs> okay, well, let's uh, move on to letters from listeners. Listeners like you. Hey, how you doing? Oh, you it's know. It's me, Dan McCoy. Oh, cool. Loser letters. Okay. okay. <laughs> Rich, last name withheld, writes... What was that about? Why was Dan's letter intro so awkward? There was something creepy about what just happened, or am I wrong? Was I alone in feeling like Dan was being kind of weird with the letters? Is it possible Dan slept with the letters, and now things are kind of weird between them, but he's trying to play it off by seeming like it's not weird, like he's not awkward, but becomes more awkward because it is awkward. Dan... I think you gotta tell us what happened between you and the letters. Letter segment. Uh, thank you. Uh, so moving on <laughs> to the letters, this is Rich last name withheld. Who writes? Um, so we have a general rule in our house. If you want to recount an interesting dream you've had, you need to do it in thirty seconds or less. Otherwise, it just turns into a sequence of sentences like, "So I was in your house, but it wasn't really your house," etc. For example, I had a dream this week I was watching televised curling, but the name of the sport had been changed from curling to Jonathan Frakes. They even had Jonathan Frakes doing color commentary, leading to sentences like, if they want to keep the hammer, they really need to Jonathan Frakes that into you, Jonathan Frakes. Uh, what is your most memorable celebrity-based dream that can be recounted while staying within the 30 seconds of interest rule? Thanks for being a bright light in my life during an otherwise awful year. Rich, last name withheld. Um, I forget dreams right away. <laughs> and you guys may as well. So I, uh, you know, if you, if you can't remember any. Uh, I, would say, I, 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 I would say probably my, the one that springs to mind is the most recent, which obviously is going gonna, is gonna to be walk into dangerous horny territory because, you know, mm -hmm. pandemic and everything. But there was a there's a there's a <laughs> well explain how the explain how those concepts are related. I don't know. They're, you know, the viruses uh, <laughs> horn Stuart up. Yeah, it's one I of the, they, it's a side effect of COVID. Mr. 
<laughs> Mr. President, there's a new COVID variant that makes people intensely horny. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to blame it. It's like Rob Reiner blaming everything on the Rob Reiner jumps out. It's Stewart's dream, everybody. Don't blame him. It was Stewart's dream. Uh, the so I'm the, a good guy. I'm liberal. Come on. Uh, but there there's a picture going around the internet a little bit ago of uh, Glenn Howerton and uh, Christina Hendricks that is very horny. And I don't know, seeing it a couple times just burned in my brain. And I had this very intense dream where Christina Hendricks kept touching me. And I was like, ma'am, ma'am, what is happening? <laughs> uh, so that was, uh, yeah, that was my most recent celebrity dream. Uh, Stuart, uh, signing off. <laughs> okay. From the world? or <laughs> uh, Yeah, I, I've been trying to rack my brain. I don't have one. If you guys don't, we can move along. But I just wanted to get that. I liked the Jonathan Frakes curling. I'll, I'll admit that that was the primary enjoyment from the letter for me i mean i'll mention i have i at these days i forget my dreams pretty much as soon as i wake up too but there are two celebrity dreams i guess that i remember one is just i remember dreaming that i had somehow become the head writer for a show hosted by milo yiannopoulos uh and he was yelling at me where's the script and i was like i hate you why am i working on this show (laughs) how did i get into this how why would i ever agree to work on this uh and the other was i actually had a dream last night the night before recording this where a, where uh, a certain comedian who has been who is uh, whose offset behavior uh, had gotten him canceled, but who previously had uh, done a you know big TV show and stuff like that, he had decided that he needed to make a movie that was his statement on race relations in America, oh, and it was me watching the movie being like nobody needed this. Why did he? Oh. Who, why are people in this movie? Why did he? Why did he feel the need to make this movie? And everything about the movie was super tone deaf. And so I guess I only have dreams about celebrities who are problematic celebrities yeah, that yeah. I don't want to I don't want to deal with, and they show up in my dreams. So don't blame me, Rob Reiner. Help me with this. Don't blame me. It's my dream. Yeah. You process all your problematic faves through your dream, mm-hmm. these strange dreams. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, my dreams that I remember seem to be me hanging out with people I haven't talked to in a long time and mm-hmm. as almost like my subconscious reminding me like these are friends of yours like you should get in touch with them what are you doing you haven't talked to them in a long time which is a handy mm-hmm. thing for a dream to do you know <laughs> thank you I, dreams. I, I, I'm not a, I don't remember my dreams these days very much either so I, I don't I the only I don't think he counts does Spider-Man count as a celebrity yes I, ha- I, uh, sure. yes, I have dreams I think so <laughs> okay uh, okay yeah, yeah, yeah I do have Jonah Jameson <laughs> <laughs> I do sometimes have dreams that involve Spider-Man and like swinging around with Spider-Man. Still to this day, so you're not Spider-Man, but you're like man. friends with. No, Spider-Man. I'm like his. I'm like his sidekick. That's amazing. I'm me, but I, I'm me, but I can swing with. <laughs> oh, him. Do you, awesome! Do you have yeah. a costume, or you're just wearing street clothes? Street clothes. That's okay, great. but I have web shooters. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. That sounds like a great dream. I would love to have that. Instead they they of, are they are very pleasurable dreams when they happen. Yeah. yeah, I have far too many dreams where I am doing a job that I haven't done in years, and the work needs to be done right away, and I don't have it ready. Like yeah. that's most of the dreams I remember. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I used yeah, to have, have bartender have stress dreams too. all the time where it's like four in the morning and people keep coming in, and I'm like, no, we're closing, but they don't listen. It's basically the movie Mother. Uh, but played out, <laughs> played out in my oh, dreams. Oh, that's the part of the, the scariest part for me in the movie Mother is when yes. she keeps telling them not to sit on that sink yes. and they keep sitting on it oh, and it breaks so off the awful. wall. It makes me so I got so <laughs> so tense. The oh. same way that the the scariest part in the movie Phone Booth to me is when he's in the phone booth and he's on the phone and there are people outside the booth try, yelling at him and it's like ha, my attention is being pulled in too many directions at once. This is yeah. very stressful. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. 
well, we have another letter, and it's from Chris, last name withheld. Mm-hmm. Uh, who writes? Chris Gaines, uh, Gar- Garth Brooks's alter ego. <laughs> dear, or Chris dear Maloney. <laughs> dear time-traveling Dan McCoy, I'm a donor and playing an old episode. I was surprised to be accused of trying to skip the Maximum Fun Drive pitch, especially since I was listening to an episode from an old Maximum Fun Drive. Not only did you fail to catch me on an actual attempt to skip out of the pitch, you unfairly subjected me to extra. Time travel power should only be used for good, never for evil. Mm-hmm. Would you like to apologize for treating me so poorly? Of course, uh, this is in reference to we did some dynamic insertions uh, uh, before our old episodes. Uh, Matt is doing some face face takes. He's, he's uh, <laughs> um, it it just means that we put in uh, old reminder reminders and old programs about the drive. Uh, but I would like to take this opportunity, yes, to apologize to you a dedicated supporter for the accusation and thank everyone again for their, uh, their, their support of the network and of our show in particular. But I am, I'm sorry, Chris, you, uh, got caught up in my net Mm -hmm. of Uh danger and intrigue. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know. Like Dennis Miller in the net. (laughs) The sentence. So I just, uh, I just, uh, went on. All right, well, now let us recommend some movies to you, things that uh, will almost certainly be more rewarding than watching North. Uh, I haven't watched anything that, like, I, I loved lately. I, I, you know, I was watching a lot of stuff that I'm like, oh, this, you know, this appeals to me as my interest. Like, I watched that Liam Neeson movie, Honest Thief. I'm like, I'm not expecting a lot out of a late period Liam Neeson action movie, and I, I got it. Uh, you and said I was fine. An Honest Thief? All right. Yeah. But uh, so I'm going to go further back uh, to something I didn't watch recently, but I remember loving, and that is Out of the Past, the classic film noir. Uh, it's got Robert Mitchum, Robert Mitchum, Jane Greer, and Kirk Douglas. What a cast. Uh, directed by Jacques Turner, who did uh, Cat People, which was invoked earlier in the, in the episode. Uh, I Walked with a Zombie. Uh, great director, a very poetic feeling film noir, if that's your sort of thing. Uh, Stuart, why don't you give a recommendation? Sure. I'm going to recommend a movie that uh, was kind of partially recommended when we had Barbara Crampton on. I just watched her new movie, Jacob's Wife, which is a vampire movie, kind of a like a suburban monster story, kind of a play on uh, Salem's Lot or Fright Night. <clears throat> with like a kind of a splash of uh, the Santa Clarita diet thrown in there. Um, and Barbara Crampton uh, is the lead and her husband is played by Larry Fessenden and they're both great. And Barbara gives, gives a great performance. If you like kind of small, but also kind of bloody uh, thoughtful horror movies, give it a shot. I, I posted a dumb picture of uh me pretending to talk to a big cartoon of donald duck mm-hmm. on the flop house uh face uh, the flop house instagram story and barbara crampton replied to it with a little laughing emoji uh so i'm glad that she continues to follow us <laughs> <laughs> and check in and doesn't seem uh, to regret it yet <laughs> yeah i'm glad and i'm glad that her new movie uh has it's been great. getting such good reviews uh elliot what do you have uh, I'm going to recommend, speaking of bad parents, like in North, I'm going to recommend a movie about a real bad dad. Uh, as uh, regular listeners may know, I am still hip deep 
in the Criterion Channel's Czech New Wave collection of movies. Uh, took a break to watch a different movie that was not a Czech New Wave movie. That was a mistake. So I ran right back to my beloved Czech New Wave, and I want to recommend The Cremator, directed by Jiraj Herz. I don't know how to pronounce the names, and starring Rudolf Hrusinski. This is a movie set in Prague in the 30s. The movie is from 1969, but it's set in Prague in the 30s, uh, where this cremator, uh, the guy who's a professional uh, crematorium worker, he is slowly losing his mind as he becomes obsessed with this kind of strange combination of Tibetan Buddhism and Nazism, as the Nazi party is emerging as more and more of a force and threatening uh, the country more and more. And it's a very Alfred Hitchcocky type of movie uh, as this guy descends into violent madness uh, under the influence of these things, believing the whole time that he is uh, really doing the best that he can to protect his family, which leads to horrifying results for everybody. Uh, but it's a really cool-looking movie. Uh, it's super uh, creepy and super suspenseful, uh, kind of from mo- moment one. Like, there's a lot of movies where there's suspense scenes and and creep scenes and then kind of, like, breathers, and this one is not. It's just It's just straight creepy for the entire two hours, uh, and I thought it was really good. It's a movie that Czechoslovakia entered for the Academy Awards for Best Foreign Language, but it was not accepted as a nominee, probably because it was too scary. So that's yeah. The Cremator. <clears throat> and Matt, as a professional film critic, you get the headliner slot. Uh, what would you like to recommend? <laughs> but, um, actually, mine You're not legally is also- allowed to recommend Jim Cotta, though. Okay, well, let me hold on. Let me find something else really quick here. <laughs> okay. uh, my my recommendation, I also watched on the Criterion channel, but a very different movie. It is um, Multiple Maniacs, which is John Waters' first, I don't think it's his first movie, but it's like his first sound feature with like sync sound and everything. I had never seen it. I'm a John Waters fan, and I saw that on there. And uh, it's great. It's a little rough around the edges, uh, but I mean, that's kind of... I it's mean, not, no, it's no not the glossy, to... co- polished corporate product we expect from John Waters. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, to, yes. But, it, I mean, in his movies, that always, you know, that, that adds a, a lovely texture. Yeah. And this one, I mean, it's 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 a variation on a theme. It's sort of... <laughs> A kind of a, a kind of a dry run for pink flamingos in, in some ways and divine is the star and is is great and it's just you know it is the the, uh, the shock uh, trash kind of stuff you you uh, want from John waters and I just thought it was uh, quite horrifying and delightful and um, I don't want to spoil the end of the movie but a giant lobster is involved just randomly out of nowhere which I thought was really really wonderful. Uh, so yeah, I was like, this is totally awesome. If you like John Waters movies and you've never seen it, it's totally, uh, it's very much, uh, on par with all of his other great stuff. So yeah, it's on, and it's on uh, criterion channel and it looks amazing. Like apparently the, I, I remember like the movie was very hard to find for years and years cause it was so obscure and he made it like on, I think 16 millimeter, like, and just supposedly for like decades, like the movie was like sitting in his attic or something. And uh, the Criterion Collection restored it. It looks, like, astonishingly good for that sort of thing. And uh, sounds really good. And, yeah, it, it's really, it's a it's a fun time on the Criterion channel. So, yeah, Multiple Maniacs. It's good nice. Movie. And, they, well, and that, ma- was, that, was start, that was doing the groundbreaking work that eventually led to 10,000 Maniacs. They just, they started <laughs> with multiple. And they was like, can we have more than one Maniac? It went Maniac, Multiple Maniacs, 10,000 Maniacs. And mm-hmm. now 
the, the sky's the limit when it comes to maniacs. And with I mean, Bitcoin if, and everything. And you know? how are and how are you going to keep those uh, all those maniacs in line? That's right, maniac cop or maniac cop two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I I want to know how all those maniacs, uh, you know, afforded maniac mansion because that. Yeah, you know, like That's it seems true. like you wouldn't be able to hold down a job but, to buy a big mansion. Mm-hmm. That but way. just just to clarify, can you see all those maniacs? So they're, oh, they're, they're invisible maniacs. They're, oh, they're all yeah, yeah, invisible they're maniacs. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's that must be it. Yeah, that's how, that's why they can dance on the like they've never danced before as maniacs on the floor because they're invisible. So it doesn't matter. They uh-huh. can dance like nobody's watching because they can't see them. And where are they going to go out dancing? That's right, New York City, home of the maniac of New York. Oh, oh, that's right. Glad we could get this around to a plug for me. But anyway, uh, we don't need to get into of, that now. Speaking of plugs, uh, so Matt, thank you so much. We want to get ba- you back to your family. I don't care about getting Elliot back to his family. Uh, wow. This is his job. But you, as our special guest, uh, before we go, is there anything you want to plug at all? Well, people can read uh, Screen Crush. That's where I'm working most days. Screen Crush, yeah, .com. Um, you mentioned at, at the very beginning this my Spider-Man book. I, it is still available. It's called uh, Spider-Man. I should really know the name of my own book. I think it's probably, from, from right? Amazing <laughs> to Spectacular, Spider-Man right? from Amazing to Spectacular, yes. Spider-Man from Amazing to Spectacular, the, the definitive comic art collection. That's a very long title. And I was... And, I was uh, not- yeah, it's like a history of Spider-Man comics. By coincidence, I was looking at that very book with my children this morning. I was I was like, you got, they, they were up... It was way too early on a on a Sunday, and I said, "Do you guys want to look at pictures of Spider-Man in this book?" And they said, "Yes." And so we were just flipping through it and having a great time, just looking at pictures of Spider-Man. But it's a good it's a good book to read too. They were not reading it; they were just you know picture looking at. But yeah. well, I drew all the pictures. Wow. <laughs> they say they say Steve Ditko and John Romita and, and all those folks, but really it was me. Wow, excellent, really impressive. Okay. You're welcome. You're welcome. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well. Uh... Thank you once again to our listeners for listening and uh, supporting us. Thank you to Maximum Fun. Go to MaximumFun.org to uh, check out all the other great shows on the network. Uh, I listen to several of them myself. Um, and, uh, you know, tweet about us. Spread the word. If you like the show, you know, try and uh, share it with others. Don't push it on other people. Maybe they don't want to listen to it. That's fine. But, yeah, uh, there's a reason that interested. there's a reason I refuse I refuse to read my kids Green Eggs and Ham because the lesson of that book is if someone says no, keep pushing it until they break mm. down and I say no. So with the flop house, if you say hey you like you like this podcast and they say no thanks, just say okay go about your business sir and <laughs> just uh, you know cut off all ties with that person. Yeah, yeah, but we appreciate it uh, uh, that you you know that you thought to try. Uh, but anyway, for the flop house, <laughs> I'm Dan McCoy. Hey, and I'm Stuart Wellington, and real quick, I want to do an extra double thank you to Jordan oh. Cowling for handling all this stuff, producing our show, making it sound uh, much better than it sounds right now. Yeah. I'm Ellie Kalen. Sorry. I, was, <laughs> I, was, I didn't know Stuart was done yet. I'm also Ellie Kalen. And I'm Matt Singer. I was told and, to say my name last. And I'm Rob Reiner. And if you didn't like anything in this episode, it's North Stream. It's not these, it's not these guys' <laughs> fault. Look, they didn't know what they were saying. It's North. Blame North. It was North's fault. As Rob Reiner's being pulled away by the, the insane asylum attendants in the white coats. It was North, I tell you. North! North! <laughs> I put that up mostly because it looks so empty behind me. Um, okay. Now it's full of bison. 
Okay. <laughs> M. Bison. M. Bison. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.